Hello, everybody. Welcome to a very special episode of Frame Trap. It's episode 100. 100! 100! And joining me to celebrate this very special occasion is Kyle Bossman. Congratulations, Ben. Well, thank you. And Michael Damiani. Congratulations as well. Well, thank you, thank you. Uh, I just want to start this episode off. Normally, we have a little bit of Mm chit-chat. We shoot the breeze a little bit. I ask you about holidays or life or video games, but... This time, I just want to open up the show by saying thank you. Uh, when I started in this industry, I thought I was just going to be somebody that like no one ever saw, just write stuff, just write reviews and put them up, because that's that was what I thought my job was going to be. That's what I was hired for. Yeah. And thanks to Game Trailers and Easy Allies, I've had the opportunity to get on camera, to host a show, to put on a podcast, and to have a lot of hours of conversations about video games with you guys and all of the other allies, and so... It's just great to be in a place where a show like this can happen and it can evolve. And I don't know. It's just it's made me very grateful. And so thank you to you guys. Thank you especially to the audience. I know this is like Frame Trap. If you were to combine all the hours, I'm actually curious how much time that is. Oh. Probably like a thousand hours. I wonder if lot. Frame Trap in 100 episodes has done what the Easy Allies podcast has done in 200 yeah, I w- I'd be I curious wonder. to see yeah, I wonder how they match up. Did they start at exactly the same time? Uh, close to, right? Close it must to? have been that first yeah. week. It must yeah, have been yeah. that first week. Um, somebody had a really good idea, but it's just actually not possible, which shows how... Uh, I saw a comment, and they were like, for episode 100, you should shoot it in your apartment mm-hmm. with the wall scrolls again. <laughs> yeah. I don't live in that apartment anymore. Damiani so we, does? Damiani does. That's true. We could do, We could have done have that. Do, yeah. Yeah. Maybe episode 200. <laughs> yeah, episode 200. We'll think about that. Yeah. Uh, but I actually do have some really exciting news. I can't believe this happened. Uh, I've, I've gotten some testimonials from unexpected fra- fans of Frame Trap, mm-hmm. and I thought I would just intersperse them throughout the show. Oh, please. Nice. Yeah. The, like, I never would have thought that these people would be fans of Frame Trap, and so I'm just really honored to share them with you and with the audience. Oh, that's cool. That's really nice. Our, our first one comes in from Sir Patrick Stewart. Sure. Yeah. He says... Uh, Picard is just out wow. right now. Yeah. He said, "Yeah, wow. Picard. He yeah. I, he might be doing John Luke might be doing a little bit of a plug yeah. for his new show. Yeah, yeah. He says uh, the enthusiasm and raw energy of the Hotake gives me the energy to boldly go where no man has gone before. Wow, and he hates doing stuff like that. I know he hates, he hates doing stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that's really it, cool that he. You said know, it's that. almost like he didn't write that, but it, almost it really, like that. Almost yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Yep, I don't yep, believe yep. it. I believe he wrote it. That's so sweet." Uh, it is very sweet. So thank you to Sir Patrick Stewart for taking time mm-hmm. out of your life. Legendary yeah. performer to take time out of your life to talk about. Forever. We actually have testimonials from other people as well. I'll intersperse them a good idea. throughout the show. Uh, but uh, you both have brought some interesting stuff for Frame Trap. Kyle, I want to get started with you. Okay. Uh, kind of the new hotness right now, mm-hmm. and I didn't know you'd been playing it outside of that little stream that didn't go too well, is Temtem. Yes. Well, here's the thing. That, that stream did go well. We just had to end early. Well, that's what I mean. Yes. It was cut short, I guess yes. is a better way to say it. But the, my feeling on Temtem is that it leaves a great first impression. Really? Yes. So we, we were playing it off Damiani's Steam account, right? Right. Yeah. And I decided to spend my $35 to get my own little Temtem playthrough going. And this is really remarkable to me because I feel yeah. like out of anyone, you would be the hardest on something like Temtem. It, that's what happened. Okay. That's what okay. Has okay. Come okay. That, that is what has come to fruition. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was wondering that, Kyle, yes. because you had that reaction. The mo- like, 
you were having such a good time with like when it was like the isolated single player yes. and all that. And then as soon as you saw character names pop above everyone's head, you so were like, and people ah. running around. It's part of it. It's part of it. So Temtem, yeah, is a Pokemon clone. It, it doesn't, it doesn't earn anything other than that. That phrase, you know, sure. it is a Pokemon clone for sure, and I don't think it's shying away from that to yes. its credit. Yeah. yeah, and another thing, I actually like really liked the battle system a little bit because it has this interesting thing of stamina, and so you can't have you don't have access to your best moves at the beginning of a, a match. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, uh, basically your stamina raises each turn. Okay, and also your stamina depletes quickly. And so if you are using your best moves, you can't just do it over and over and over and over. You'll have right. to take some turns to rest if you want to use your best moves over and over. Uh, as somebody who doesn't, who hasn't taken the plunge yet on Temtem, mm-hmm. do they utilize that in interesting ways where it's like, oh, I want to like put the enemy in this state and then use a best move? Are there any setups or any combinations like that? Maybe late game. Okay. I uh, didn't even get to the first gym. Okay. I was right at knocking on the door of the first gym. And are they gyms? No. It was called something else, but it's basically a gym. gym. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I was uh, listening to a little bit of Giant Bomb's coverage, and it seems like you do a lot of two on two battles. Yes. Okay. You do a lot of two on two battles. You do a lot of, uh, yes, even like random Pokemon you run into. Sorry, Temtems. Random Temtems you run into. uh, Those are duels. And then you also have trainer battles that'll be duels too. Tamer battles, excuse me. Um, You got to use the right terminology. Well, one thing that uh, Giant Bomb mentioned that I was like, oh, God, I wouldn't. I still struggle sometimes with Pokemon being like, wait, what is that week two again? And isn't it completely yes. different in Temtem? Kind of, but also there's still fire is okay, weak so to water. Okay, so there's still the basic yes. fundamental stuff. Okay, yeah, so they sure. still have that. But, yeah, exactly. Like a, there was something that looked like like a fighting type, and I'm like, oh, I got a flying type. I'm going to use my flying type move. Oh, it's grass. It's like, sure. flying versus grass. I got this. And it's like, uh-uh. Like, okay, 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 Temtem. <laughs> you got your own rules? Okay, Temtem. I guess I'll learn those later on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, so, I, the game is about managing your stamina. And so that is the battle system, and that's what I liked. I was really into that. Um, your stamina uh, fills up again or goes to the same spot at the end of every match. Uh, so you can, you walk in and your stamina is replenished or whatever. Uh, what isn't replenished is your HP. Hmm. And this is where, this is where I got a thorn in my side. So HP, you're going to get hit in Temtem. You're going to get hit. There's two Temtems hitting you. You're one or two. They're, they're going to get hit. Right. Um, and so you're going to need potions, right? Mm-hmm. Of course. Salves in this game. Um, <laughs> they're very expensive. You you uh, the money doesn't come in fast, and you can spend your money on basic potions really quickly. Here's what happened. Oh boy. So, I lost a match. Lost a ten ten match. Lost one hundred eleven dollars. You know what two potions would cost? One hundred sixty dollars. Yeah, right, ten ten. In this game, it is more economically sound for me to lose a match than to win the match and heal my ten tens. Well. Is there not a Pokemon Center equivalent? Where there you, is. Okay. And so I think that's it, Ben. That's where, that's where I'm like, okay, I get what you're doing, Temtem. Right. And maybe this is an MMO thing. This game is about grinding. Yeah. This game says, yeah, go back and grind they some more, They want you bro. to take it slow. Yeah. Um, and I do think that's it. I do think that uh, you're supposed to be out-level the opponents that you're up against. Mm. Um, at least at this early point, I'm sure at endgame, everybody's the same level and things like that. Is there... 
is maybe part of the reason why the economy is the way it is and just the, the balance of the battles is the way it is. Are you supposed to interact with and team up with other players since they're around? Or does it not work that way? No, I bet it does. I bet okay. you're right. And also, I realized this morning when I was thinking about Temtem, uh, it's also because I wanted to raise two Temtem and focus on them. I didn't like the other Temtems I'm looking at. And I, I think that if I had a full party of six, I obviously would not have lost that battle. And obviously, you you can you don't have to heal everyone because like okay, I'll send you to the back. I'll have these two up front. So this is not a game that is friendly to stubbornness. Yes. Yeah. Got exactly. It. Got it. And okay. it is it is friendly to I think people who like a certain aspect of Pokemon mm. uh, because it is very basic in its world design. It's very basic in its you know its structure. It doesn't do much to get you invested in this journey. It kind of assumes that you're excited to be on this journey, um, and. Yeah, the characters all seem randomly generated. All the NPCs, mm. they do have different faces at least, but it just seems randomized. You know, they have a name and sometimes they'll have dialogue even, which is cool. They're like, hey, you know, I'm, I have a crush on that girl over there. It's like, okay, buddy, let's battle. And he's like, okay. Uh, but that buddy doesn't really seem like a guy because he does seem like a random, randomized character mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, the, the adults have more definition in their faces and do seem more different. I think the thing that, that has been hard for me with Temtem, where it's it's more of a curiosity than like, a, oh my gosh, I have to play this right now, and something that draws me to Pokemon is both the monster design and the character design. Like mm-hmm. There are just some creatures in Pokemon where it's like, I just want to interact with this, I want to capture this, I yes. want to play with this. Yeah. Or like gym leaders, I'm excited to battle just because they have so much personality. Yeah. And Temtem... Mm-mm. has not grabbed me. It yeah. has not given me that that first impression where it's like, oh, like I feel like I'm I'm interested in more of like a practical sense as opposed to like an emotional sense, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. Whereas Pokémon's the exact opposite. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that none of the starters are little cuties. Mm. They don't have a little cutie. I haven't seen a little cutie yet. I've seen probably 20 Temtems. Not a single cutie. Yeah, it feels like that was always going to be one of the biggest struggles with this game. Sure. Is that it, you can look back at the past like almost two and a half decades of Pokemon and really break down what it would take to make like a competitor on paper. Mm-hmm. But like those designs, some of those are so timeless. Like that they perfected a lot of those and like they know what they're doing. It's not that easy to come up with right. cute and cuddly looking things. And I think no matter how good, like even that stamina system, as cool as it seemed, and like mm-hmm. you were saying, it felt like it was kind of forcing you to not forcing, but nudging you a little bit more. Like stop doing the brute force strategy that Pokemon like no lets you get away with. Like yes. actually, yeah. make a team, like play this the way it's supposed to be made. But at the same time, if you don't care about your six Pokemon, it's like uh, right. not really. I can't get invested in this. It's hard. That's what that was, right? Yeah. I could have succeeded if I had six Temtems, but I don't. I don't want those Temtems, right? I don't you, want d- you don't care enough to put in the effort to get to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's that's the thing. Um, Pokemon, especially last year, right, fell under a lot of criticism, and rightfully so. And there were a lot of things that I was disappointed in in Sword and Shield. But I think that's the thing that is kind of taken for granted is is that. It's it's almost impossible to articulate the the kind of charm and craft of the world and characters. Like we're just so used to it by now. But yes. I mean, like yeah. there was th- there's there's magic there. There's a reason why they captivated the world. There's something that they're doing that just gives it a warmth that you want to be in. Yeah. And if you don't have that warmth, it's really it's really difficult. Um, I, there is one super cutie actually. I forgot about one super cute. What's the name? Uh, the platypus. 
Okay. So the platypus was a fake Pokemon that was like spread as like a rumor, right? Like, oh, these are the new Pokemon. Mm. And there was a water type platypus that was a super cutie. And then people grew attached to that platypus even after uh, we all learned that that was fake. Yeah. So they actually contacted that artist and put that Pokemon in this game. That's cool. Very smart. That's the right thing to do. Yeah. 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 That is the, the, they all should be that. They all should, I don't mean, I don't want to knock somebody's creative work, right? Like, there was sure. a creative artist who made a lot of designs. Yeah. They're, they're like, they're worse than Neopets to me. Oh, boy. I'd rather have, like, a little Neo... I would I, switch out the Temtems for Neopets, and I would play this game. Kyle, that was a hard journey to go on with you, because you said you didn't want to knock it, and, and then I, I feel did, like that was and the, I really knocked I feel it like that was the hardest knock. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Yeah, that's my opinion. I'm sure the creative artist who, like, drew all these things is having right. a great week. Well, and it's not like Temtem isn't doing well, exactly. right? Like it's yeah, clearly yeah, yeah. resonating with people on right. some level. Ignore me. Ignore my criticism. No, yeah. no. I. But the sense that I get from Temtem, and I don't actually know this. This is just pure speculation on my part, is that these people are obviously gigantic fans of Pokemon. Yes. And were maybe frustrated by certain things and just kind of, like, made the game that they wanted to see. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I dig that. I, I feel yeah. like we've been getting a lot of that with different genres and different types of games, and it's it's pretty much, for the most part, been a very beneficial thing, uh, that there's space for people to do that, that they can come out here and make a Pokemon competitor yeah. and have, like, the queues be so high because so many people want to play it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's funny. It's... Uh... So Pokemon's big boss, right? And the, Temtem, I think, takes the recessive genes. Temtem is Liquid Snake. I'm ready to play Solid Snake. Well, Solid I'm, I'm, Snake has the recessive genes. It turns out you're right. Yeah, it turns out he <laughs> was the weaker brother. You're right, Ben. That's good. That's that's very good knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I they took out the things that like I'm I'm not interested in. Right. They, they made the Pokemon game, and and understand people who are interested in these things. But no, I still want that game with the right analog stick, you know. And these environments are just so flat. Yeah, yeah, it definitely had that vibe as well. I'm more interested in how this game, the sustainability plan they have for the content updates in terms of like playing with other people. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's obviously in the early goings. It's probably be fun just to like see all these new Temtem. Try them out fighting against each other, other player versus player battles, which mm -hmm. I'm assuming you can even do from like the. I don't know when, even when you can start doing them. Right. I did not try. But like, yeah. they, I, I'm assuming they're at a low level, but like, what is it going to be building up to? I know about that end game area where you can fight like bigger things, but like, they have to have something beyond that. And I'm kind of curious what they're going to do. Sure. It's the breeding system. Um, and I do believe they're introducing new Temtem uh, on, a, on a regular basis. Did they? What was the thing? That, uh, the early access said like a, they introduced a new area as well. Oh or, sure. So, so there's they, there's parts okay. of this map that are it's cute. It just says okay. work in progress, mm. and so there will be a path there that's just got a board over it or a building that's that what says WIP. Okay. And so yeah, it's clearly early access. So like new zones and stuff. Yeah. Okay. The idea of new creatures being trickled in is interesting, as yeah. opposed to waiting for a new game and a new region and a whole batch. That I don't know. That's an interesting difference. Um, I. I hope that Temtem ends up being kind of like a Stardew Valley where yeah. I feel like the creator and the community were very much in sync with each other and that, that game managed to have like a pretty gripping relevance for years and still yeah. has a lot of relevance. I think he announced relevance. 10 million this week. That's in, that's crazy. Yeah. That's tr that's a huge success. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, I think yeah. Temtem could. Mm. I think Temtem yeah. could hit 10. 10. 
what what gives you that confidence? Um. Well, shoot, we just learned that Pokemon Sword and Shield yeah, did sixteen mil. Yeah, it's hard to say that it could going. do ten. Yeah, it's hard to say it could reach that. You're right. Maybe ten was ridiculous, but I, there's enough Pokemon fans who are unhappy with Sword and Shield who I think would love this game. Yeah, I think they just need to play into stuff that people wanted to see for a while that they've never seen in a proper Pokemon game. Yeah. I mean, and really lean into like a different type of multiplayer experience besides I feel like the key is also going to be fi- finding another way uh beyond just like battling people in like just like the traditional sense. Like think about like gym like the whole concept of what are they call academies or something in here like schools or whatever their gym I got equivalent to the academia of, and it was just a building that you have to leave. Whatever their equivalent of gyms in. How cool yeah. would it be if e- each week Someone who was the winner of that was became like the gym leader for that week. Sure. And now you're like in charge of that gym for a week that's, or something. That's, like stuff like that. That's pretty much how Pokemon Go works. Yeah. Where yeah. you go and you hole up in a gym and you yeah, <laughs> you own it. Um, it's interesting how timing affects things so much. It's not like Pokemon Sword and Shield were immense successes. I don't want to say that they aren't. But, you know, obviously just there has been some disappointment with Pokemon and I, I wonder if like Pokemon Sword and Shield were the most beloved entries of all time if Temtem would be getting the attention that it is. Yeah. Um and that's not a knock against Temtem. It's just funny how things work out. Yeah. You know, f- finding the right moment. I'm also curious whether it's that or how much of it is that there's just such a huge craving for anything that's Pokemon like. Yeah. Like, there's right. the stuff left on the table there that, like, Pokemon proper never capitalized on. And we on. haven't seen yeah. these since, like, Game Boy Color. Yeah. Right? People have stopped trying to clone Pokemon a long time ago. Yeah. And I feel like people have been asking for a, a online Pokemon game in this vein yeah. for decades. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And that's it. I think if you, if, you, if you ever played Pokemon and it was just to be the best kid on the bus, this is the game. It's like, if that was the part of Pokemon you really cared about is the battling other people, you got this game now. That reminds me of the... Have you heard of the different types of Magic the Gathering players? No. I think there should be one. There may, there might be for different types of Pokemon players. So, yeah. like, one of the types of Magic players is just, like, doesn't care about winning. Like, may lose pretty often, but just wants to play that big creature. Wants to put that giant thing on the board and smash you with it. Yes, I can relate to that. Yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah. You, someone should do that for Pokemon. Yeah. Uh I think part of the hesitation that I have with Temtem, Kyle, is just time. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's another MMO. Right. Like the game wants you to grind. Right. On, on like one hand, it's cool that this exists, and and I I've, I've wanted something like this before, but just at this point in time, it's like ah, did, you saying like, hey, you need to grind, and it's slow, and it takes a lot of time. I just, I don't know. It seems like a commitment that I'm hesitant to make. Yeah. At this at this moment, this is like something I really would have wanted ten years ago. Mm. When you had more time, to yeah, yeah. Like when we, I feel like that's when like everyone was asking, "Hey, Nintendo, make like a Pokemon MMO." And now, it feels like maybe younger people have a little bit more time, or whoever right. has more time, like it speaks to them more. Where it's like that was such a pipe dream, and it's nice to sample it, but seeing yourself getting invested in the long term, it's just like I really can't do that, can I? Right. Yeah. Well, and it also has the issue of being like, well, maybe if I wait a year. It'll be way better, and like that'll be the perfect point to jump in. So why jump in now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, Michael Damiani, you just recently told me, and by recently I mean before the show, told me that you had your very first experience with The Witcher 
And it was what? the TV show. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, <whoa>. oh. <laughs> I see that. Uh, a few weeks ago, I also finished the show, uh, and I ended up liking it. I I have, like, some minor complaints, but for the most part, I liked it. Um, and when I was talking about it on Frame Trap before, I talked about it after the first episode, and I think I gave a, a poor impression of what the quality of that show, because it got much better. Um, from there, but now I've seen all of it, and you've seen all of it, and uh, besides the show itself, Mm -hmm. since this is your first experience with the Witcher universe in any capacity, did it make you more interested in the fiction of the Witcher? It made me more interested in the fiction. I can't wait for season two. Um, The one thing I'll say, it has not made me want to take the extra step of, like, because Huber... When he heard about this, he was like, so, makes you want to play The Witcher now, huh? I'm like, I don't know if it really makes me want to play it, because I kind of enjoy experiencing this more passive medium right now. Like, mm-hmm. what I saw in the series, I enjoyed it, um, and I think it ended on a, it ended with enough, uh, giving me enough answers, but leaving me with enough questions about, like, the health, how, characters and the universe, like, the world building itself. Mm. Um, and I, I I was very impressed, honestly. I, I didn't have a lot of uh, preconceptions going into it. Uh, I think the most I had was about maybe Geralt. Mm. I've seen so much, like, obviously, covering games stuff, like, he's just been all over the place. And all the trailers I'd seen, it's like, okay, I, I have some general generalizations about this. They might be wrong, they might be right. And going into it, I was surprised by how much, like, None of this was like a- actually right. It was like completely different. Just a simple thing of like, what's a witcher and stuff. Yeah, I was like, is this this person who goes and like hunts like witches or like? Then I was like, wasn't there a title called Assassin Kings? Like, is he just like an assassin, a paid assassin who's like works in the shadows or something? So you thought that for the last three years, while people were praising The Witcher Three, yeah, you thought it's just some guy who kills witches. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this like a wait a minute, but you think this is the most absurd thing ever. I do. Is it the most absurd thing ever? I mean, I would rather play that game where I'm just a, a witch assassin. Heck yeah. <laughs> over over The, the Witcher, Witcher 3. 3. Yes. Why is that? Uh, more focused. More focused? Yes. Is this a criticism of the games I mean, or something yeah. you're making? Though yeah. he is called a, a witcher and is not a witch hunter, he is still very focused. He's he's He kills monsters, and he's very adamant about that. No, no, no. I gotta listen to this bloody baron tell his story. Nuh-uh. Right. Well, you also find out that Geralt has <laughs> things that he is personally invested in and, and right. seeks after. But I simply want to assassinate witches. Okay. <laughs> There you go. You're yeah. gonna make yeah, you're gonna yeah, make it comes. the Temtem of the Witcher. Yes, and I you're gonna be right. That's the liquid snake just taking the wrong things out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, not even done no, that's really, no, it's yeah. interesting to hear that yeah. though, Kyle. View it like that. I mean, it was, uh, it was cool. Obviously, I'd seen the trailer for the show, so I knew he killed like supernatural beings and stuff like that. So I had that, but just I really like the world. Mm. Um, I liked how they depicted magic in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't feel – it had a nice sense of being like – it felt like it could be believable. It wasn't too ex- exceptionally fantastical except for maybe one or two parts where like certain things happened I don't want to spoil. I was like, okay, that was like really awesome. But like that was also very fantasy looking and stuff. But for the general part, even like uh, Geralt stuff, like the force push stuff, I was like – felt very – like I liked it. I liked how it looked, and right. I liked how, despite Geralt being viewed as like a badass, there was parts where his life felt threatened and stuff. So he wasn't like 
all powerful. Like he can just easily beat anything. But it's like an average person, they're like, oh, dude, don't mess with him. But there were still characters, humans were like, eh, I'll take you on stuff, no problem. Right. That opening fight. Yeah, the the or not the opening fight. The fight sequence in the village in episode one. The butcher of Blaviken. Yes, yeah. was like I love that sequence. Mm-hmm. Like I, to me, I was like, okay, I I know a lot about this character, and I at the same time I have so many questions. And I like this. I found there were like faults. The first episode was okay. I thought. I liked what I saw about Geralt, but I wasn't liking anything else about the episode at, at first. Actually, episode one. Episode one. Sorry. Yeah. I, I felt it was a little rough with everything else. And what was, it, yeah. What was interesting about episode one is it felt like it was a lot of exposition before we were able to get invested. And where I started, and I don't know if you felt this way, but where I started to really come around on the show and where it started to get more focus for me was with Yennefer's story it, yeah. and getting to <laughs> yeah. see that pretty much from the beginning and having her kind of be this emotional anchor for the show. She was one of my favorite characters throughout the whole thing, and then how her relationship happens with Geralt, I thought was Absolutely awesome. loved Yennefer. Mm-hmm. I mean, knew nothing, I didn't even know, like, Yennefer, I, I've heard you in the, like, halls and stuff talk about, like, the Witcher mentioned Yennefer right. and stuff, Yen or whatever. Like it's like, I was like, yeah. okay, and now, like, getting to know this character is like, I, w- this is a really good character. Mm-hmm. I love this, and I was very heavily invested in them in the show, and, like, can't wait to see more of them in the second season. Um, I think, honestly, it she might have outdone Geralt for me. Mm. Like, they were very close, but I think she was the character I was the most invested in and enjoyed watching them develop over the course of the se- uh, season one. Yeah, um, they kind of tease it at the end of the, the season, like, about Geralt's path to becoming a Witcher and his relationship with Vesemir, so I'm interested to see how that ends up playing out in the future. But, uh, yeah, Yennefer was really, really good, um, and you mentioned how they portrayed magic. I loved uh, how active mages were in shaping the identity of the different places where they were established and then like coming together and uh, just being like, okay, well, we need to fix this place and so you got to go there and just using them kind of as political tools I thought was really Yeah, cuz you always see like the I mean the the old version like the most famous version is like oh yeah there's always like that guiding mage who's like you know helping the king whatever rule his kingdom and stuff and that's like kind of what they're doing but like the council and stuff like we get to decide who who gets this assignment here you know what 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 are our objectives like the council of like witches and like I'll be the first to admit um Kind of felt like the same thing when I went into Game of Thrones, which I also was first introduced to the show before I dove into the books later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the terminology and like proper nouns, I'm still coming like I'm not as familiar with them yet. So yeah. like, if I get this wrong, I do apologize. But like like the whole thing about like chaos, like like controlling chaos, but then like letting chaos go to like fuel your magic and stuff. Like I kind of like that. It was like the whole. I mean, it was kind of like a rip on the force. Like oh, keep it in balance stuff. But then like Yennefer, like no like unleash it and you can be really powerful but it's like very dangerous and stuff but yeah. them talking about it also their system was so kind of messed up oh extremely messed like up. just yeah. the, like the whole thing like yeah we're kind of like low in numbers so we just we'll take anybody sometimes, and stuff sometimes the best thing a flower can do is die <laughs> yes okay like, oh my gosh i was like yeah, yeah this, this, this is a cruel world and yeah. like it is unrelenting and unforgiving and uh yeah, it they just did not. I liked how they stuck to that, and it was consistently delivered throughout the whole like first season. It did not sway mm-hmm. from that. 
Um, also, the the dragon hunt episode. Mm. Um, I got this completely wrong because Huber corrected me. I thought that was what the wild hunt was because oh. they say let's go on a wild hunt. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is what it is. I, so I cool. love I love how you hearing the title of these Witcher games and then like creating a whole yeah. story in your head. Yeah. I was like, yo, is the whole game about hunting dragons? This is it, baby. Like, no. the wild hunt. <laughs> He's like, no, dude, it takes place way after everything. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, okay, that's fine. Um, but uh, what's the character, the, the the bard character, just like following around Geralt and stuff? I forget. Yeah, I I always want to call him Dandelion, but it's <laughs> not Dandelion. It's it's like Haskir or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I, I'm, for, I'm blanking on his name. But it was kind of interesting to see Geralt letting him tag along. Obviously annoyed at him, but like you could tell it immediately helped establish like he, he feels alone. Oh, it is. Better known as Dandelion and Polish Jaskier. Okay, so maybe maybe it just is Jaskier that Jaskier or whatever. Jaskier? Yeah, it's yeah. J-A-S-K-I-E-R. Okay. But yes, he is wonderful. The point is that he is wonderful and his relationship with Geralt is wonderful. Like, yeah, the fact when he decides, like, he's worth saving. Like, he's worth me doing something that, like, might put my own life at risk or my own interest at risk and stuff. Because right. they, it, it, yeah, like, it was nice to see... Because I was worried Geralt was going to be too one-dimensional. That was my biggest fear after the first episode. I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And like, there'll be a little bit of death, but I feel like he's going to be possibly the most shallow character. And then through these developments, specifically his interaction with the bars, like there's – you know he's not saying a lot half the time? The the body language and the expressions. Like I'm sensing there's a lot more there. And it like kind of pulls it out and extracts it by the end of the season one. I'm like, right. I, there's a lot to this. And it's good. And – what I what I like about their relationship is you've had you have characters in fantasy that that are kind of like Geralt, that are kind of hard, that are kind of distant, that like like prefer to be alone. And then you have a character that comes in and kind of softens them up. And then when that happens, they just kind of completely lose what they were before, like they're just completely soft. And that is not Geralt. Like, yeah. like he still even he himself is sometimes conflicted about his relationship with the bard and like snaps at him sometimes and like he still has those difficulties like he's not suddenly cured just because he's made this friend i guess is what i'm trying to say L- love the different like kind of like not really side stuff but like as like siri we don't really talk about her and like yeah. that whole origin story and stuff like it's probably the character i was like seen and probably heard the most about other than Geralt but Really, like, obviously, because when cyberpunk trailers came out and there was, like, the talk about, oh, Siri could make a cameo now. I'm like, oh, so there must be some time-traveling power or something with her. So, like, that was, like, all I knew about her is, like, she must have, like, special powers or something. Yeah. But, like, the way... Uh, In my re- mind, you you were just waiting for it to turn into cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was almost waiting for a Bioshock Infinite moment where oh. when she's shrieking and stuff, she loses control and doesn't fully recognize her powers. She opens a portal or something and you see another time period because that was the kind of the framing of the first season is that mm. the episode five halfway or episode four is like the reveal. If you, I'm right. sure smarter fans who are more familiar picked up on it sooner than I did that you're seeing two different time periods mm-hmm. and they're going to converge at the end. So you're seeing Geralt in the past and Siri in the future, like after events have happened after episode one, I was like, oh, because when they visit the like starts with the C Sintra or Sintra, yeah, I believe yeah. it's Sintra. And like, wait, they're going there, so like they're gonna go have a party at a ruin and stuff, and it's like, oh, this is the ah, I got it now. Um, 
I, I like that. I didn't find that too confusing at all. And I did feel very uh, invested in seeing like what's going to happen when Geralt finally catches up. Like, mm-hmm. is, uh, are him, uh, him and Ciri going to finally meet in this season? Are they going to hold it off to next season? And yeah, I, I, I like the uh, as they were exploring that, seeing different into different pockets of the world, like the, yes. the forest of the elves, or well, I forget what they were. The, right. No, I know who you're talking about. Like the stay with they us use the milk people. and to like yes, tell yes, if you're yes. pure and stuff. And they were trying to like right. they knew who Siri was, so they're trying to keep Siri there because oh, she can be a powerful ally and stuff. The Black Knight guy who was like got a like hired a doppelganger that right the assassin. I was like that guy was a little like insane. <laughs> One of my favorite, if not my favorite, Siri moment was when she goes into that like refugee camp and meets the family and they're just like shit talking her family and you get a different perspective on, on what like a, the the other side of life views this kingdom as and, and royalty and all exactly. that Exactly. And then when it goes to shit when they get a right. when the attack happens and that payoff later when she's at the village and like it actually is a genuinely nice woman trying to help her. Right. Same pitch as before. She's like, uh-uh, steal that horse, get the F out of right. here. I was like, I know what I know what really happens here and stuff. But like at the same time, they bring her back. Like, actually, not everyone is like that. So, you know, welcome to the real world. You know, you gotta learn to trust. I'm not sure if you agree with this, Damiani. And while there was undoubtedly some good series stuff in the in season one, there were definitely episodes where I'm like we didn't, no, Siri did like nothing this episode. Like there were just times where it felt like they were showing her because like, hey, this is the ultimate goal. The, we want them to meet at some point. They, they were reminding you of it. But I just felt like sometimes the series storyline was spinning its wheels a little bit. I I felt like her arc in this first season was the weakest. Mm. I was oh, I was expecting like some awesome payoff or something to kick in at some point. It's like, okay, they're just like they need to like remind me that she exists because something important's going to happen and it doesn't feel like we quite even got there at the end of season 1 like they're still alluding to things and it just felt like her path was just like i'm moving along this path cuz i need to get to point b by the end of this season like it doesn't feel like it felt like a necessity rather than like they kind of like embraced it and like told like a really intriguing story around her. It was more like everything around her was more intriguing than her herself, yeah. which was kind of unfortunate. And uh, yeah, I don't know how much I actually like the character so far. Mm. I mean, I want to give it, you know, till next season. Maybe they get more screen time. Maybe I get to see more about it. You know, yeah. I don't want to judge it too harshly yet, but. Felt like Siri was the weakest character of anyone I, of the main cast that I saw so far in the show. Uh, I know you said you want to experience, you're kind of enjoying experience the world passively, and I actually completely understand that. Uh, but I'd be curious because I feel like a lot of people are either just coming from the games or coming from the games in the books or just coming from the books and then seeing how they're interpreting the characters. And you would be coming from the show into the game. And so it'd be interesting to see, like, how you feel about the different representations from that perspective. I get it. Yeah. 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 I maybe want to try that. One thing that weird, uh, I found odd was that they kept saying that Geralt, a witcher, is not supposed to have any kind of, like, human emotion. Yet he obviously wanted to have, like, sex with, like, almost anything that, like, attract, he had attraction. That's not an emotion. So he was just, like, he deeply he cared. It felt like he cared about certain people. Like it felt like attachment, almost love. No, he's feigning that just to get them in bed. Okay, he's that's he just learned to act so well. From what I understand of The Witcher, that's basically what. Are it's you up this to. is a bit? Or are you actually serious? <laughs> okay, uh, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, I re- 
you know, I don't want to, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel mm-hmm. like you bounced off the Witcher three, uh, pretty hard. Yeah, Kirkback Bog. Yeah. What? What? I'm just curious. What? What was it specifically that you didn't care for? So it's really funny, Ben. Is that this show kind of says to me like, hey, it just wasn't going to happen because. You would think that I would just I would be a little interested in watching the Witcher show and mm. it's just not there. I think I'm just not into this theme. Dark fantasy? Yeah, I think I'm just not into dark fantasy. I think it just doesn't light me up in any direction. And so I hmm. think that that's part of just I was never really into the game. So I I've I've two guesses. Yeah. Is it A that it is too grim or mm-hmm. that the grimness comes across as a little forced. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. right. I can play gr- grim things and I can watch grim shows. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was forced. <laughs> it's, you know, like, I, I I don't know. It's just me and, and, like, not even, like, dark fantasy, dude. Like, uh, if there's magic around a castle, if there's a griffin, pretty tuned out. Really? Yeah. Uh, see, I'm just trying to understand because I, I love dark fantasy. Yeah. I just in, am inherently interested in it. And you love Final Fantasy. Yeah. And love Final Fantasy. I mean, there, I, love I feel like, the, I feel I love like, like there sci-fi are chocobo, or I mean, I feel like there are Griffin equivalents yeah. all over the place. How is any of this different from Star Wars? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No idea. No idea. It's just, it must just be like an aesthetic thing. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in there. Yeah. I'll be honest, Kyle. Like, I mean, if this, if it wasn't getting such good a word of mouth and. Everyone here kind of like talking about the show and saying like we need to watch it. Like I did feel like there was that sort of level of peer pressure plus like professional responsibility. Like mm-hmm. this is active. This like it's one of the least easiest things to get into. Like the bare entry is like non-existent. Just sit around yeah, for a few hours, watch, watch the episodes. show. So you yeah. can discuss it. I'm like, okay, yeah. no excuses for this. So right. I did feel the push to get into it. It wasn't all of my own. Like I'm just genuinely, genuinely, genuinely interested in this because I too generally don't like to go towards the gritty realistic like even when it comes to fantasy i present the more fantastical like whimsical interpretation of fantasy stuff but there are certain things that do speak to me and like this despite that was doing that another one like uh completely different but it's more like uh the uh, the satanic fantasy stuff the uh sabrina Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on... Uh, you would call that satanic fantasy? Well, it's all about, like, the occult and, like, yeah. in hell and, like, worshipping Satan and stuff. But, like, they sure. kind of, like, it's, like, kind of, like, almost, like, pastiche. It's, like, you know, this is... Yeah, like, we're not literally doing this stuff, but, like, we are doing it and stuff. But, like, and, and it these characters acting like this is completely normal. Like, I'm sacrificing this or we're doing some gory thing here. And it's just, like, oh, okay. For some reason, like, I like that show. And yeah. it's, like, oh, okay. I would never think I would have liked something like this because... It's too gritty, realistic, and I'm also not the biggest fan of horror either, or yeah. gore. You want to know what happened uh, with me in the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina? Yeah, okay, what happened? Uh, we were watching it, and it was great. I was really liking it. Okay. And then, I don't know if it's the first episode, it's early on in the series, she's going to like summon a bunch of spiders to like freak out a professor or something, and I was like... Guess it's not meant to be. Not meant and to I've be. Never oh. watched it since. Yeah, they, uh, you have nothing to apologize yeah. for too. Yeah, yep. they never go back to something like that though. And it's yeah. you know I I love dark fantasy and fantasy yeah. in general. Yeah, and I'm terrified of spiders and fantasy loves spiders and so it's yeah. just it's just the way that it goes. Um, this is a crazy coincidence, you guys. But mm. uh, somebody else who sent in a testimonial was Henry Cavill. Oh, oh cool. yeah. wow. Yeah, 
Um, I haven't actually gotten to read it yet. It just popped up here. And, oh. I only watch Frame Trap when Bloodworth is on. He's a true Witcher fan. Mm-hmm. Mm. I blew it. I blew it. That's on me. You blew it? Yeah. I mean, Henry is not watching this episode. No. Yeah. No, Henry hasn't seen too many episodes. Yeah, it's not just you. Me too. He's just like, oh, this someone yeah. just watches the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm honored you watched it, but at the same time. Read the books. Get out of here. At least yeah. read. Come yeah. on. And Bloodworth does read the books, for the record. Oh, yeah. Bloodworth is, like, Bloodworth is like going to yeah. reread the books. Yeah. That's what he said. Yeah. He doesn't want to watch the show until he's read and not, those books. not the audio versions. Well, he's going to yeah. sit down and read those. Yes. Bloodworth, man, he was like... Oh, I, I found out that there was actually a book that I didn't read. And mm-hmm. so I went and I ordered it online and I got to finish. Like, he just felt so ashamed and guilty. And it's like, dude, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay. But that is, uh, that is some true dedication. You've got to respect really awesome. it. Uh, boy, I've got two things to talk about. Do you want to hear the sad one or the happy one? Sad one now. Sad one now? Yeah. So okay. we can happy we can yeah. Be happy later. Yes. It's uh, sad might be a little bit too dramatic for it. So I've been playing that Warcraft 3 Reforged. Oh. And to get this out of the way, I'm having a good time. Okay. Because I love Warcraft 3. Sure. I've 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 always loved Warcraft 3. Warcraft 3 was was a favorite game of of childhood, particularly middle school and middle school summers. It it's what got me into the Warcraft universe and made me like a Blizzard super fan. Uh it's a game that I've always held in my heart and f- <laughs> since I've known Huber, we've talked about wouldn't it be great if they remade or remastered or re-released Warcraft 3. Yeah. Uh and they did. Kind of. Kind of. It's pretty rough, man. Uh, it's just... This thing is $30. Mm-hmm. And I can't believe that I'm looking at a Blizzard game and I'm like, this is this is kind of ugly. Like, this... To me, Warcraft, especially at its best, right? I think about... Like like World of Warcraft and what was so cool about that is it had a very distinct style and look. Yeah, it was doing fantasy, mm-hmm. and there were other fantasy MMOs at the time. There were a lot of other fantasy games, but it it had this own exaggerated style that was immediately recognizable and very distinct. And Warcraft Three had that as well. Um, and what I liked about it is that it was it was like fun. It was extremely bright and colorful and kind of goofy. But within that, they were still able to tell a pretty heartbreaking and dark story with Arthas and his fall and all of that. And it's like they took that and just, like, ran it through, like, a generic filter. Like, I don't know what else to say. It was like, okay, what if these characters looked less distinct? Like, <laughs> like, like let's make them more realistic. And so they just seem kind of, like plasticky and stiff and I don't know it's a hard thing to describe but like I think if you look at them side by side you can be like okay this one reforged like looks better but it also looks less special if that makes sense that absolutely makes sense to me yeah it like looks better in only the most literal of ways um that's twin snakes to me 
Yes, Twin Snakes Technical is a good... advancement, but yeah. the aesthetic is just butchered. Yeah. Right, yeah. There's just something that... I just don't feel like the soul of it anymore. Yeah. You know? Like... Like, somebody just by like behind a machine was like, let's spruce this up. But th- they had no... I don't know. It's It's very, very frustrating. And... I'm having this weird thing, and I don't know. I, I've heard that there are performance problems and bugs and all sorts of things uh, with Warcraft 3 Reforged. I've just been playing the campaign, which is what I'm most interested in. And I've been having it runs fine, except every once in a while there will be like this weird stutter that happens. It's just like a little skip. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough to completely ruin the game, but it feels like it has poor performance. And it's a remake of a 17-year-old game, and it doesn't even look that good. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. But beyond (laughs) that, like, there's really nothing here. Like... Doesn't it feel special, then? No. It's like... It seems so surprising because... If I uh, say uh, remake uh, instead of remaster, forgive me. It's a remaster. Someone who's come through, I'm like, I'm not an avid Warcraft fan. Yeah. But even I know how important Warcraft 3 is and how important it is to a lot of people, including, I thought, Blizzard. And I, like, just as a spectator, I would have thought they would have, like, gone all out on something like this. Right. It's something people wanted for a long time. This is going to be a big deal. In fact, when they revealed it, like, what, two years ago, was it, like, roughly? That's the weird part of the story is that it looked better then. Right. Oh, they, they scaled it back from that reveal, so and they were doing different things with the UI. So, like when you would click oh, on Arthas as a hero oh, unit, he would like kind of be in there. Like, he would like be popping out of the screen almost, and he'd be kind of floating there. It's not a great way to describe it, but now he's just like like Warcraft three in a portrait, yeah. basically. It's and I weird. wonder if that was a budget thing. I wonder if they got their budget cut. It seems so weird, though, yeah. for something like Warcraft 3. Right. Like, I, I feel like that's Warcraft should go after, especially in a post-WoW existence, anything Warcraft should be, like, a flagship thing for Blizzard, I would right. think. Even revisiting old stuff. I mean, we've seen countless companies do fantastic revisits, remasters, re-envisioning, reimagining, sorry, of older games. And with Blizzard's talent behind it, I would... I was expecting like this to be like another like like the second coming like when Wild Classic came out last year like people was raving about like they nailed it like they got the experience right and stuff and like but right. it's like like updated and stuff and looks great and doesn't seem to be like especially after what you said and like reading headlines from other people just yeah. the discussions out there of the sentiment of disappointment behind it yeah I think that's the thing and that's that's really the best way to summarize it it's really amazing how not all out they went like. I've wanted a remaster of Warcraft 3 so badly, and I think a perfect way to sum it up is I was going through the human campaign, and there's there's a lot of story in Warcraft 3. There, there are cutscenes between missions. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to skip this. Like, I know what happens. And it didn't look good enough, nor was it presented interestingly enough to make me want to watch it. It wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe I get to see this scene mm-hmm. that I that I know in this new and exciting way. It's just like, I feel like I've already seen this. Like I, I haven't technically in this remastered version, but I feel like I have and it's boring. That sucks because like each area, like not just cutscenes, but each new area you go to when you're going into like a remaster, one of these things, like you want, 
like as a fan, you want to be like you, you, this like giddiness of like I can't wait to see what this looks like and right. stuff, yeah. and to like lose before you've even seen it to like lose the interest. Right. Like I don't even like really care what you're gonna do next because you've disappointed me so much at this point. Even just like redoing the the cinematics, like just doing it, just playing it again and being like, oh, like these are just the same cinematics from 20 years ago. Like, oh, okay, cool. Like, huh. and that. That to me is very anti-Blizzard at its best. I feel like when Blizzard had a new game or a new expansion, it was like, oh my god, I have to stop and watch this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're they're really at the top of their game. Uh, they just had a presence with them, and there's like there's just no presence with Warcraft Three Reforged. Um, that being said, though, I I think if you have never played Warcraft Three in any capacity. There is still so much goodness in there. I still think Warcraft 3, at its core, is a phenomenal game. And I think that's what makes this so frustrating. Is All like, right, yeah. Warcraft 3 is still wonderful. The hero-centric RTS strategy of it is is great and getting to play as four different races who all have very different and distinct identities is really really cool and some of the missions especially when it's like oh we have to go and murder these townspeople before they turn into these hideous abominations and we're racing against demons who are also trying to kill them like there's some there's some really good inspired fun ideas in the level design and in the gameplay itself uh, it's just a shame that like the remaster doesn't have that energy. Besides, like the the kind of like standing the test of time and holding up so well, like its core the core game itself. Yeah, did they there, do there are some things that feel old for sure. Oh, I was gonna ask, did, uh, <laughs> did they do any like any quality of life improvements to it or something like anything you that you've seen so far that's like, ooh, this was a nice touch, like that they did something like that, or did they leave it so mostly unaltered? They. They did. They did rebalance the game. Okay. But as somebody who's just like, oh, man, I, I loved this campaign. I want to jump in and play this campaign again. Like, none of that stuff. I mean, it's been, you know, however long since I've played it. But none of it's nothing that is, like, immediately obvious to someone who isn't a competitive player. Or at least gotcha. it isn't obvious okay. to me. Okay. It, it feels the same. Yeah. Would you recommend someone play the original? I I think so. Okay. I I I do, and that's that's the hard thing, Kyle. Is it's like I would love to hear from somebody comparing the new look and the old look and being like, what do you think is better? Because is it just nostalgia that I'm speaking to? But I I don't know. I just think there's there's more heart in the original look. I think if you do play this new version, if it's more convenient for you or whatever. Uh, there's still a great game there. Mm-hmm. Like, I think people should... Uh, fundamentally, I think people should play Warcraft 3. I do think $30 is too much for this. Yeah. Uh, for what it is. How much can you buy the original for right now? If I don't you, know. If you can. I don't know. Do, do, they, do they still offer it through officially? Not through Battle.net, I don't think. There was oh. something I... Heard, so, I might have misheard this, and you might not even know the answer. Because right. there was something... The headline I saw this morning was something about... Uh, omitted online modes or something about like online features or online mode that's what's quality of life maybe because yeah. something was apparently cut and you can't play it anymore even like the original or something like they axed it all together and I, I obviously you know 
I'm sorry right. I'm being so like un- not specific here, but like right. it sounded like that kind of would be especially an online feature would be like upsetting to like remove from a game or something like that with like no replacement for it or something like that. Maybe it's a more competitive thing, so that's might be it. Right. Yeah. Uh, I wish I could tell you like yeah. exactly here is what has changed and what's changed for the worst and, and what's going on between them. Yeah, but I was just coming, I, the, the, really the only place that I'm coming at it from right now is I can't wait to experience this campaign again. That's all I have any interest <laughs> in at the moment and just feeling pretty disappointed. Yeah. Like, ideally, I still want to play through all of it, but I, I think don't know. That says you, just, you just think yeah. what, what could have been. Yeah. And it, honestly, it sucks so much that they showed you something better in the reveal. Yeah. Oh, you, like, you're wondering so what could have been, and you have a clear vision of what it could have been. You're not right. even imagining it. It's right there. And it's just, I, I assume, like, their time and their budget just got cut. Yeah, you want that, like, Kotaku article or that, like, no-clip documentary about what happened behind the scenes there or something like that. Yeah. I bet StarCraft Two Remastered hit it. The StarCraft Two Remastered did not blow up. No, StarCraft Remaster. Not StarCraft it was just 2. One? Yeah, yeah, Oh, okay. You're yeah. right. Why would they, they remaster 2? Right, right. Yeah, it was StarCraft, yeah, StarCraft 1 Remastered, yeah. yeah. What have they have they remastered or revisited any of their older like older games and updated them that have been like significant? They've done StarCraft. Besides StarCraft. Uh, no, they haven't done like a remaster oh, of oh. Diablo 1 or Diablo 2, which people really uh, understandably want Diablo 2. Uh but no, I think it's just StarCraft. So I wonder if it's a philosophical thing. Like, you know how, like, Rockstar doesn't like to go... Like, they prefer not to go back to their older games and, like, right. do any significant updates. Then they'd rather focus on newer projects. Mm-hmm. It, maybe there was just, like, something to happen in the past two years where it's like, the, like, hey, we saw this got greenlit, but you know what? We really don't want to do this. This isn't our thing. And it's, it's like... But it stinks because, like, the missteps they've had recently it would be, like, this would be... A thing you could you think would be surefire, like let's not screw with this one. Like let's get this right. Let's nail this. You know, this would be a nice one, a nice in the like check in the win column for us. And it sounds like it's middling at best. I mean, I mean publicly they've said to investors, "Hey, we want to release more games on a given year. Mm-hmm. We well, need to be releasing more games." And I think it's just part of that initiative. Pump them out. So you think maybe it was rushed a bit? Or? Yeah, and I okay. think I think count on Diablo remasters. You know what I mean? Like count right. count on more. Count that on Diablo more of this. two as soon when Diablo four gets closer, that Diablo two remaster is happening. Yeah. And I really hope they don't. They don't fuck it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, you know, I don't want to. This is projecting a little bit, I think, and. You know, I, I want to be careful because making games is extremely hard. And even when people are disappointed or things don't go as planned, it doesn't mean that there wasn't a team of people that worked very, very hard on it. But with that said, releasing something like this in the state that it's in just seems so anti-Blizzard to me. Yeah. Like, there was, there was a time, I feel like, where you could just buy something with Blizzard's name on it and have, like, total confidence in it that they would polish that thing to high heavens. They, they Like, you wouldn't have this situation where people are comparing it in the way that they are and, and having it look so unfavorable. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds bummer. like what you were saying. Like, kind of like Activision, like, the, high, the higher-ups, like, cracking the whip honestly. there, saying, like, sorry, like... Wasn't there something recently said about, like, 
not just what you just said, but like something even bef- that predates that about rumors that like people like the whole reasons people were leaving Blizzard potentially is because Activision was finally putting pressure. Like it's time to like deliver like on more things, more titles. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah, it's, it's a, a sad one. You gave us a, you promised yeah. a sad one. Yeah. You gave us yeah, a that's sad. sad. One. Yep, it's sad. Yeah. It's just, it's just genuinely sad because I think there are a lot of people out there who probably just didn't get to experience Warcraft Three, just weren't of an age to properly experience Warcraft Three. Yeah, and Warcraft Three was an exciting game in so many ways, like what it did for the Warcraft lore, how great the campaign was, uh, but just the custom games and the creativity and the enthusiasm and the support and, like, the community around it. Like, it would be so cool to just have that energy and excitement back. Yeah. And be like, oh, man, like, I'm, I'm glad that, that more people get to experience this or, or have some semblance of what it was like, and now it's just, like sadness mm-hmm. it's just it's just like oh that's too bad <laughs> like it's just, oh, it's just nothing okay cool whoo that was a sad one what's also sad is we uh we mentioned the forbidden word oh several no. times well forbidden phrase several really. times wow the forbidden genre it's actually a new thing for us a forbidden genre, forbidden genre. Oh, wow. they didn't like that we said dark fantasy Oh, uh, no, no. Normally, I wouldn't have. I feel like you told this is your fault. Yeah, this is my fault. <laughs> Why'd you bring t- it up? A lot of times, it's my fault. I would not have talked about Dark Fantasy. We were tempted. Yeah. I know why they banned this word. Uh, we were talking about Temtem earlier, Kyle. I, did, I actually had no idea when I made this game that you were going to talk about Temtem. Oh, no. We're going to do <laughs> Temtem real or fake. I oh. could, with you, with you guys on the panel, with both of you on the panel, I couldn't resist to do. Temtem. Okay. And so you will be competing with each <laughs> Real other. Or oh, no. Real or fake Temtem. Oh, Kyle Bosman and uh, Michael Damiani. Okay, this is a good game. All right, the first one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hocus. Real. Fake. Ky- or, I'm sorry. Damiani gets a point. Oh. Is it H O U C H? H-O-C-U-S. Hocus. Hocus. Okay. I think that's my starter I picked. (laughs) (laughs) The evolution is Hocus, I believe. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number two. Yeah. Zula. Real. Fake. It's fake. Oh, my God. I'm going to take the opposite of ever. Yeah. I'm no, you got to start some. Yeah. No, I did the first one. I said. Yeah. You can't. I let off. You can't always do the opposite. I was the lead off here. Okay. Chuo. Real. Fake. It's fake. Oh, phew. Dang, that sounds so stupid it had to be real. <laughs> Come on. Partep. Partep is real. No, actually, Kyle, this is real. Yeah. Fake. You're both wrong. <laughs> Come on, I'm trying to what? Part- Partep. Partep. Sounds exactly like what a Temtem is. Yes! I made it up! <laughs> Come on! Well, watch it be added tomorrow. It's going to be the DLC tomorrow, I, yeah. When I do this game, sometimes I realize yeah. I, I have this terrifying fear of, like, what if I made a fake thing that is real? Yeah. And so I, like, control F uh, and try to look for it. Mm-hmm. I am pretty sure Partep is fake, and Great. I just came from my brain. It's perfect. Number five, last one. Right. Oh, uh, no. Kyle, this is your chance to tie it up. Yeah. Blues. Spell it. B L. O-O-Z-E. Oh, Blues. Do you want me to go first? No, I got this. Okay. 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 That's fake. I'm going to go with real. It's real! Yeah! yeah! Oh, no! Blues is 
<laughs> is that just like irk you, Kyle? Yeah. It's a real name. It really does. I'm, 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 I'm deleting Temtem. You're deleting it. I'm deleting Uninstalling it. from hard drive. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Delete your account. Oh. We're playing it on Tuesday, Kyle. Yeah. Yeah. Not with my character. <laughs> uh, Mike, that was a, a dominating performance in Real or Fake. Well done. You will have to break us out of the frame trap. Uh, but first, we have some wonderful people. We got a shout out. Um, and the way that we're going to do this shout out is we're going to get louder and louder. A little bit louder now. Mm. Louder now. Shout out to Elthanis. Shout out. Shout out to Greg, the shout. Dark Knight Kettering. Shout, shout out. out. Shout out to Caleb, Togi Crawford. Shout, shout out. out. Shout out to Will, Will Schmuck. <laughs> shout out. Shout out to Mr. One Luigi. Shout, shout out. out. Whoa. Did that work? That was performative. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All that right. was good. What are we going to talk about now? What do we what do we want to talk about? Do we want to talk games. about Monster Hunter Stories? Let's do it. Kyle, why are you playing Monster Hunter Stories? So, this is wonderful. Yeah, if you don't if you're not familiar, that makes sense. It's a 3DS title. Yeah. Uh, it is You know, maybe I was just feeling an itch for like a Pokémon clone. Because mm-hmm. in this game, you befriend the, the monster hunter monsters. Yeah. Uh, they You ride them. You do. Yeah. You explore with them. They hang out on your side. Yeah. And they're just like chibi versions of, you know, their proper monster hunter selves. Mm-hmm. Cool visual style. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's part of what drew me in. Um, would look really great on, great on Switch, I would say. Yeah, it would look great on mm. Switch. Uh, yeah, because it does look a little rough at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ben, I just sometimes I just a game like this grabs me. I dig it. Mm-hmm. Here's here so when you told me that you were playing this, I yeah. was immediately like very excited and then I was like he's not going to like the battle system. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I I don't blame you. Yeah. I like the game and I don't blame you. Yeah. I, I need to know what this battle system is. I have no idea. So it is it is rock paper scissors. It's, you know, it's it's axe spear sword. Okay. Um it's just that. You have a wheel, and you choose the attack to do. Uh, and some monsters have tendencies toward rock, paper, or scissors. So it's like, oh, this guy is a... He typically does power. Okay, typically. Yes. And so you feel pretty good doing a technical attack, because you're like, okay, I'm pretty sure he's about to do a power attack right now. Here we go. And it's like, oh, I did speed, Betty. You're like, oh, come on. <laughs> and the game's like, you got to watch for patterns. So like, okay, okay. All right, game. Because sometimes it does do patterns. Sometimes it'll be like power, power, speed. Power, I was going to ask, is it actually yeah. a pattern, though, yeah, that yeah. you can observe? With, like, the big boys, they typically have a pattern that you can get a hold of. Because that sounds like it's preserving Monster Hunter. A like, little bit, yeah, yeah. When you're looking for the actual real patterns in real time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is just... I think I'm done with it. Uh, I got to the first town. It was so exciting yeah. uh, to build my first armors based off of creatures that I've killed. If yeah. I have enough of this type, I can build the armor of that creature. Uh, the stuff they've maintained for Monster Hunter. Uh, the story itself is that you are a little girl or a little boy, and there are actual monster hunters in this world who mm-hmm. are like, why are you riding monsters, little girl? And you're like, well, it's what they did in my village. And at that point, I'm like, I'd rather just be a monster hunter. Wait a minute. So is this the best turn of 2020? Is like, is this where Kyle Wasman gets into Monster <laughs> Hunter? Like it, it did, the game made me want to play a proper Monster Hunter. Yeah. Because right. instead of when I get my cool armor, right? I'm playing, yeah. It's like a chibi version of the cool armor. Yeah. It's, it's, I know there's a cooler version of this oh. armor. In there the actual, is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. 
Uh, and so it's hard. It's hard to play the this version of a game that once you get to a certain point is very clear made for children. Right. Uh, whereas, like, so when I was about to fly to Germany back in the summer, it was between Dragon Quest Eight for my mm-hmm. 3DS, one of the 3DS game, and yeah. this game. Mm-hmm. I chose Eight, loved it to death. Right. Eight, I don't think it was made for kids. Right. Like there was, I, I, I couldn't tell which game was going to be silly. Uh, right. It turns out it wasn't Monster Hunter, and it, or sorry, it wasn't Dragon Quest, and it totally is this very silly, silly game. Yeah. Um, if this is out of bounds, let me know. But sure. I feel like the way you're describing Monster Hunter stories is pretty much the same way that you feel about Yokai Watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, shoot, I think Yokai Watch is a better designed game than this. Okay, why is that? Uh, Yokai Watch. Is considerate about its its monsters and making it fun to have monsters uh, and recruit new monsters. I don't remember how you recruit them, but uh, and some of them are like story driven. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, the way you get new monsters is you got to steal an egg. Yes, <laughs> you can't tame them. You can't be like, "Hey, monster, like ride with me." You have to steal an egg and then you take it back and you, you know you hope that you get a cool one and you kind of do. It's kind of randomized. And then if it sucks, you take its energy and put it into one of the monsters you like. Mm-hmm. And then it's just gone. It's just part of that monster now. Did you like the designs of the monsters? Yeah, but again, I'm looking at nerfed designs. Right, you want to see them. <coughs> and I think every single monster in this game, at least to the point I got to, was a Monster Hunter monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot to its its look. I actually liked the character creator a lot. It has... It allows for expressiveness mm-hmm. uh, in that they have like a version that's like like an embarrassed version or like just got hit hard. The the cats dropped you off and you're on your back and you have a very specific eye expression for that. Did you did you like your your palico your feline friend? No, you didn't like it because it's not a regular old palico. Oh, it is its own special talking one. I guess they all talk, but uh, it's got different eyes. And I was thinking about this, like why do you have different <laughs> eyes? Because you can talk to regular old felines. Yeah, there's regular ones that look great. Yeah. You know, you look like a feline, but this one I think was made maybe to appeal to a wider audience. Sure, he's got cartoon eyes. They're probably yeah. Windows wants to update. Can you believe this? Can you believe this? Can you believe Windows right now? Can you believe Windows right now? Another time, Windows. Kyle, That's forbidden. I'm gonna close this window. Please keep yeah, talking. Yeah, I'll keep talking. <laughs> um, so Damiani. Yeah. Um, it's it's been hard. Like. I, it was a rush up until that point where I got my armor, right? And it was really exciting to get cool armor. And then I realized there's nothing driving me forward. And the worst part happened is I was still playing a little bit, you know, still collecting new things, fighting new monsters. Uh, my 3DS's battery has died, right? Like, I, I closed it and, like, okay, I'll continue later. And it that's died. how long it took. Um if I'm losing 15 minutes of this game, I'm giving it too much time. And so, like, oh, I'm, I'm done. okay. After losing, okay. what, the 15 or 20 minutes since my last save, I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm that good. was enough to make you bail. Yeah. So, All Kyle. Right. Yeah. I I need to say something. Sure. I hate it when people do this to me because, you know, you're your own person. Yeah. You have your own interests. Yeah. You, you, you are perfectly capable of being motivated to check out any number of things on your own. Mm-hmm. But... Based on this experience and what you're describing and the things that you liked from it, I think maybe not necessarily playing with other hunters, but I think you would dig playing Monster Hunter on your own. I, I think really so too, do. Dude. I, I really, really do. do. I think so too. Because that's like the 
it's funny they have the appeal of the monster hunter games but it's like just not the combat they're like are you scared to do the combat you don't have to do that kind of combat well i wonder if you did get invested in monster hunter and then Mm -hmm. return to stories and then maybe you would have like some things would be more enjoyable just because it's like oh it's cool how they're representing this like i have some context for this Yeah. yeah yeah i don't know but i just think so monster hunter world right yeah it's easy to get into. Yeah. Easier than other Monster Hunter games. Mm-hmm. And what I, one of the things I really like about Monster Hunter World, and I think you would really like about Monster Hunter World, is it puts a huge emphasis on the world part. It treats the world like a character. And mm-hmm. there are moments you have to go yeah. and explore and investigate it and learn and understand. And I think you'd just be into that stuff. That's all. Uh, there's a really funny moment, Ben. When I teach a giant rabbit monster uh, how to shoot flames out of its mouth, <laughs> and it's part of the story, you have to. And the character who teaches you this ritual says, "And it's just going to happen to this one monster, so you don't have to worry about it negatively affecting the environment." And it shows my character and the cat going, "Yeah, thank goodness!" Yeah, and like the game, there is like a, a pro environment message clearly throughout this entire game that I actually kind of appreciate. Right, it's very funny in that way. Yeah, world world is interesting because obviously you're you're murdering and capturing monsters, but yeah. there's this message of hey, these monsters these monsters that we're eventually working to, that the big ones that we're investigating are completely disrupting the environment. Like yeah. we've got to go and take them out so like balance can be restored kind of a thing. But yeah. uh yeah, I think someone told me once that Monster Hunter takes place in a world of like deep future of our own world and that the monsters themselves were weapons of mass destruction. I, and I find that that very is appealing. true. I don't know that. I find that very, very appealing. Well, let's just let's say yes. An anime. Yeah. Let's yeah, just say yeah. yes. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, boy, they're still making that monster hunter movie. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot I think it's going to be very cool. <laughs> I think I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. I don't necessarily <laughs> think it's going to be good, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but exactly. I'm going to enjoy it. Yeah. <sighs> Yeah, I th- Ben, I think I put a lot of time into it. It oh, could have really? been eight or nine hours, probably. Okay. Before yeah. bailing on that one. I'm trying that, to remember how much time. time I put into it. Uh, I think it was like 15 or 20. It could have been less than that, but I don't know. A number of hours. Did you get to the giant spider? I th- I think so. Yeah. It's not a bad, it's not a hairy spider. No, no, no. Yeah. It's it's a monster hunter spider. Exactly, I'm remembering, yeah. remembering correctly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been... Years now since oh, yeah. I've played it. I'd have to like go and look, but then I'm thinking it might be the 3DS that the PGA 3DS that I don't have anymore. Oh wow! But I guess if it's saved on the cart, then it doesn't matter. Um, but I don't know if I have the cart. So I don't know. The weird thing is though, Ben, that I just realized as we have this 3DS conversation, that was probably it. That was probably the last 3DS game I have. I was curious about and haven't tried. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's there. There are so many games, Kyle, that are in like my 3DS backlog. Mm-hmm. A lot of, lot of like big RPGs that I'd love to go back and polish off. Like, I got, I put, a, I dumped a lot of time into Dragon Quest Seven, and I would just love to go and finish Dragon Quest Seven because yeah. I really like that game. But I do not want to play my 3DS yeah. at <laughs> all. Yeah, I have no desire to play my 3DS, and I liked the system. Huge mm-hmm. fan of the system. A lot yeah. of great memories, but. Like, I feel like I've just moved beyond that. And it sounds so condescending in, like, the shittiest way, but I just want them to put it on Switch. Like, sure. 
I don't know. It did have good 3D. To its credit, you, you slide that slider up, good 3D in this game. Kyle, I feel like I only used the 3D for like the first two years, and then it was like permanently off. Because <laughs> the game, they run better if you slide it down. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem. It's like yeah. it's, it's going to run better if it's not in 3D. It's like, all right, okay. Uh, Michael Damiani, you and Mike, Mike and Mike, did a whole playthrough of a brand new game, Journey to the Savage Planet. Oh, yeah. Just funny, uh, the irony here, it was between that and Warcraft 3 or 4. <laughs> Ooh, so you made the right call. Because I was like, oh, yeah. would it be cool for Hubert to take me through a game I've never played before? Yeah. Yeah. Or Actually, do we do. be really interested in that. Or do we do co op? I'm like, co op's probably the safer route here. So, yeah, might have been be able to speak more about Warcraft 3, but. You know, it would be a good Mike and Mike. What would be? The Witcher 3. That would be a long one. That would be Especially after Kakarot, we were like, after Kakarot, we were like, yeah, we might want to pick games that we know could be like done in 20 or less hours definitively. Yeah. Run the risk of that. I I feel like I've been doing some form of a JRPG playthrough, like since Easy Allies has started. Mm -hmm. And like, I really love JRPGs. But like I'm just ready to stream other things. Yeah. 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 Like after Mana, it's like let's not do a JRPG. Let's yeah, just you got to bounce back else. and forth. That yeah. feels sure. feels right. Yeah. But yeah, uh, during Savage Planet, um, the game that I just been we'd be hearing the name about. I'd watched a few trailers, and just the fact that it mentioned had online co-op was what made it win out. But this game, the the best thing, it, it was a good game. Definitely enjoyed it. Um, uh, I think the nicest thing I could say about this is it feels like the closest thing I've played to a, th- a Metroid Prime style game. Mm. Period. Like it was definitely going for that vibe, but it also works in a lot of different elements. Like it doesn't go full Metroid Prime, which I think is like it's a thirty dollars game. First of all, it's only like so it's not as big of a budget, and it looks it's a very nice looking game, but there. are only so many areas in the game you could tell because of its shorter length it's okay they they were clearly going for something a little bit more focused and i think it works too what it, what it does the concept is you are i love this you watch this opening little video it kind of uh felt a little bit like darling s from control where this travel agent is explaining that you are traveling on with the fourth best interstellar travel agency that's the name of the company mm-hmm. and you have uh, crashed on this planet and uh, in this ship called the Javelin and it's like hey uh, you want to get out of here don't you well you have some options here it's got like a little bit of tries a little bit of dark humor well you can either go find fuel and power up and get out of here or if not congratulations on your new home and stuff like that so it's like okay so they're playing that angle And it starts off very simple. It's like, okay, here's your first objective. Like, go out and find this material or something like that because you need to, like, the game is about finding stuff, scanning stuff. That's the best part I like is Mm. that it takes the concept of, like, especially if you played Metroid Prime, scanning objects, getting that information, and then using that information not just as, like, in, in, like, combat, but also in terms of figuring out what you need to, like, craft or what you need to do to advance in terms of, like, a puzzle element in the game. And I really like that about that. Mm. And it eases you into that. Like your first objective is find some materials to craft your first thing because you got to get through this cave and you come across this unknown crystal structure that 
Oh, you can't quite. You, you basically only have melee, and you have this uh, grenade item that's really food. And when you toss it, it lures the native uh, indigenous species to go after and start munching on it. But mm. it doesn't like really hurt them or anything like that. So that's all you really have at your disposal. And you can, can you can you get them to attack things? So that's what we thought. Huber and I like, oh yeah, we're doing this right now. We're gonna lead them to the it's crystals, like, uh, and then they're gonna ram it or something, too, yeah. or we're gonna shoot them, or they're gonna blow up and stuff. And that didn't work. And in fact, we didn't even know like. It was first Huber's like, we got to shoot them. Because they're cute and cuddly little, like, look like angry birds, basically. And I was like, I don't want to shoot these things. They're like innocent cuddly. But the game's like, no, you've got to survive on this planet. So shoot them. Oh, we got carbon from them. And we needed carbon to start crafting stuff. I was like, okay. So you're going to have to kill indigenous things to get their raw materials, which you're then going to need to synthesize the new things that you need to progress in the game. I was like, okay. But, like, figuring out what you need to kill or what you need to do is, like, just a small part of it as well. A lot of it is about how you're going to progress, and it's not just like you get a gun. You do get a gun, so it does become kind of like a first-person shooter. It's presented in first-person, and you come across – there's not a terrible lot of enemy variety in the game at first. It's very simplistic. I think it's more about taking in the environment, a little slower pace. Like there's platforming involved, and it's like how do I get from – I see a spot over here. Can I go over here yet? Oh, there, I can't, but I can scan this object. Oh, it tells me if I had like a grappling hook thing, I could get up here. Or if you could do like a double jump with like a thrust pack, which you haven't invented yet. And when you go into your trees, your invention trees, you can see these things that you, once you realize you need them, it'll tell you, hey, you can get this, but you lack these materials to synthesize it. And what's great is if you haven't seen a material yet, it'll tell you unknown material. So it's like, Keep exploring the environment. Keep figuring it out. So that kind of like feed, uh, gameplay loop is kind of nice, and I like that about it. That's neat. Yeah. Um, I was uh, listening to the video review, IGN video review of Journey to the Savage Planet, and they said something that I was like, oh, that's that's kind of a bummer, where I, I feel like they were implying like once you get your gun, it, the game becomes a little bit more traditional and a little less special. Is that accurate to your feelings? Like, does it kind of fall into a more conventional route at some point? So it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't do anything exceptional. Mm. It is. It, I, I hate to say. It, I don't want to call it generic, but it doesn't do anything too ambitious. Um, like the premise I told you is about as elaborate as yet. There's some parts later on that are pretty cool. Right. Uh, so things they introduce, but for the most part. Uh, the first two thirds of the game is very open, and uh, you just you, you get a few core th- abilities, and you're just kind of like building upon those, upgrading those essentially. Like, oh, you can hold more rounds in your gun. You can shoot more powerful rounds. Oh, you can like double jump. Now you can do like a boosted jump, and then like you get the grappling thing. Oh, you can grapple. Oh, you can now ride along like the coolest part of the game. You can ride along these like little like tendril things. That, that sounds really fun. And that's it's Metroid Prime Three. It's literally the corruption thing again, mm-hmm. or like Bioshock Infinite's hook thing. That was really awesome and stuff, and I like that. But I kind of agree with that sentiment because the the shooting and stuff like it never gets like that intense. Like the the way you advance becomes pretty formulaic at a point. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I get this trick. Like, I'm going to have to lead that food thing. Oh, there's this, like, uh, fan uh, thing that you got to, like, feed them into. It's gruesome. They get, like, shredded up and everything. But then it's, like, fed this thing that, re- like, recoils its tendrils so you can advance through a corridor. And you see about, like, 20 of those through the whole game. And it's like, okay, like, you could have done something a little bit different than that. Is the is the humor a 
like consistent throughout the whole thing and is it enjoyable because I feel like what I've seen it's maybe not a lot of but I, what I what I see in videos is like oh here's this like big eyed creature and it farts is there a lot of that so that I don't know about, I don't mean that part of it didn't really notice as much and if okay. like that sounds really dumb if that is all it is and, and I, but I have like, not terms, played the game but so in terms of like completely the, so one thing and Kyle you got to see this because we showed you this the boss fight. I'm thinking it looks like a big dumb joke guy. Yeah. Yeah. Does it? Yeah. What does it look? What does a joke guy look like? Big bulgy eyes, big cartoonish <laughs> teeth. You know, it, it's it's, it's like it's eyes. goofy. Yeah. yeah. Like the enemies. That's what I was trying to get at. Like the design it gets a little goofy looking. It's not very inspired. It looks. See, I don't think goofy is necessarily bad. It's a, it's goofy in a bad way in that like it just looks ridiculous and it, it it doesn't look interesting and it like accentuates obvious things. Like it's way too obvious. Like it doesn't fit in with like this kind of like sense of like I want to figure out this enemy. Like uh, mm. oh, it's got two giant bulge things in the back that are glowing. It's like it's that usual trope and it's like uh you kind of squandered that because there are some kind of more interesting remedial enemies before that um like uh, uh, like huber figured out you had to use stealth to take down this type of enemy mm. that uh, uh, that way like, how do we do we shoot it do we need to like distract it and stuff and he's like dude it's totally stealth i'm gonna do this i'm like really and he like figured out i'm like oh okay it worked there was a takedown prompt for him to do that i was like that was kind of clever but it never really ascends beyond like that like it, it's I, I feel like it's a, just a product of like they probably didn't have the biggest budget and like they they foc- they stuck to their guns. I think they did the best with what they had to work with, and I think they went for the, like they focused on the more interesting parts, the environments, uh, the few that there are in there. I like them. Um, I like the emphasis on scanning, figuring out things, like being a little bit more methodical. Don't rush in there, and then the the platforming stuff, especially once you would like advance like your grappling hook and stuff, you can start laying down things to like scale up cliffs and like you know not really wall jump but like tog- like grapple back and forth, um, stuff like that. And there's a lot of there there is an emphasis on. The, get to an end there's a final boss but there's also a lot of like secondary things mm. like Huber and I were always coming across like do we go this way do we go that way and we were doing co-op that was a great thing he would advance going doing something else while I'd go do a side activity and it's like this, like I think this game does co-op pretty well like that did you feel like you were excited to explore and there were surprises throughout the whole game during the first half to maybe two thirds uh, definitely the first half hmm. it started to wear off around the halfway part because uh, so how, how long is it uh we took about what five and a half I hours think it was five and a half five and a right? half hours right um to so get they did get the bad ending we oh. uh, supposedly yeah there's multiple endings but we well, how, what, do you, what do you have to do to get the bad so ending? We just the we bare don't know. Minimum. Well, yes, you the bare did minimum. the bare minimum. Okay, Kyle knows the expert on this game. He knows that ending. we did the bare minimum. Kyle was yelling at me. He's like, Damiani, Huber is running ahead doing all this stuff, and I'm like, I'm trying to do side stuff because I'm like, I think you know maybe we're not supposed to rush ahead and stuff. I feel like there's you like, wouldn't have gotten the bad ending. There are all these yeah. check. There, there, there's a teleport system. That's how you you progress far enough. Activate a teleporter. Now you can backtrack to your ship because you can go back to your ship to re- to synthesize new items and gear and stuff. So there were a lot of those teleports we didn't activate. And I was like, we missed whole areas. Like, where where were these stuff? Because we're trying to rush ahead and stuff towards the end. Because this guy's like, you're so close to the end. Come on, guys. Wait, just push ahead to the end. He was pushing you to get ahead to like, the end. You're like, you got to finish this. Well, well, Heber also. This stream's supposed to be a four-hour stream. Yeah. And Heber wanted to finish it, too. Like, it was equally Heber as well. And I yeah. felt like Heber's passion there. Um, but at the end, I was like, I feel like... 
we, we like this could have been broken into two and would have been like more satisfying for sure, someone like me. Yeah. Towards the end, uh, it got a little bit more linear. Like the open nature of it, like the emphasis to like go over here, explore that, goes away. It becomes way more focused once you go into like this tower environment. And it's like keep pushing ahead, keep pushing ahead. It's like solve a linear, like a, a straightforward puzzle in front of you to advance to the next room. And then like you get to the final sequence. Won't spoil it, but like it's extremely straightforward and linear though. Figuring out where everything was was like a bit of a headache, but it is a complete. The last probably third or fourth of the game is drastically different pacing and tone than the majority of the game, and that was probably where I was the most disappointed. Was in the end, like the end par- portion of this game. Though I did like the the final boss fight was kind of cool. All right, yeah, it was okay. It was kind of cool. It was yeah. You know what? It looked like a, a it, was cool. it looked like a retro design boss. Yeah. Oh, sorry, not retro. Rare, rare. Like rare design that boss. Like they oh. fit in Banjo Kazooie. It did uh, look like a uh, conquer. Look like a conquer sixty four boss yeah, or something you're like see that. See that on a sixty four game. It's it's weird, Damiani, because I've I've been kind of just casually looking at this game from an outside perspective and and learning a little bit little pieces of, of it here and there. But I feel like your impressions have made me be like, I don't I don't think I want to spend five six hours with this. I I feel like also again we played it co op. And it's only online co-op, but we were playing on two systems like together on a couch. So right. I feel like we did get the couch online experience, which or oh, sorry, the local online well, local multiplayer experience. And I think that really enhanced it for us, sure. which is not what majority of people are not going to get that experience. Right. So it was a very unique setup and situation. Can you just like play with some random online? Like, can you just so how it works world? is there's separate campaigns. Like they're mm-hmm. sorry, your progress is locked between single and multiplayer. So your single player progress right. is not tied over to your multiplayer. But if I just hit multiplayer, you can search for a session I see. and join someone, or you could send like in, like start a brand new session and invite friends ahead of time now, or friend ahead of time. Because that is the case, can you hurt each other? Oh, there's friendly fire, and we use it both. Uh, mostly <laughs> tactical advantage because when you you can rev- you have thirty seconds to revive a fallen teammate, um, but when you revive them, they get full health. So in certain battles and stuff where there's no health around, it was strategic for one of us to like shoot the other. Hey, I'm like low health. Shoot me now during this downtime and then revive me so I'm back at full health. You know what? They should have made a mechanic where it just heals you. Yeah, they should have thought that one through. Yeah, that was a little dumb. Uh, or I guess it was a, a bit of an oversight. Also, uh, I got a lot of soft locks. Just frozen. Controls would not. Or work. like, uh, yeah, like Cuber had to shoot me, and then my revival would re- like let me reengage the game. Hmm. So and it was only on mine. Never happened to Cuber once, I think. Right. Yeah, it just happened to me. Like, but it happened like four or five times, and there was not me trying to do ridiculous stuff. It was just me trying to play the game normally, hmm. which was it happened enough that it was a bit as a distraction. Um, but at the same time, for the majority of the game, like it happened more towards the end of the game than the beginning. So. Don't want to hold it too much against it. Definitely, I, I feel like just knowing that there's friendly fire would make it me hesitate to ever play with a random person ever. <laughs> oh, with a random? No way. Oh yeah, yeah like no they way. could. Yeah, and like it has the soul saying where like your resources that you got to bring it back to your ship, otherwise you if you die, uh, they get your corpse leaves behind like a like a Dropbox looking thing, like a container that houses your previous your, the RP is. There's a cloning bay. So each clone comes out. Hey, go back and get your clone's materials if you want. You die again. I don't know if it vanishes, but like you can lose those materials. And if a 
playing with a troll player online, you know, right. they could kill you and then they could destroy your your box. It's like, hey, that kind of sucks. Uh, but um, what was I going to say? The uh, there was one really frustrating thing. Like it, like I had a mostly good time turns the the for. A good chunk of it, but there are some parts even in the early goings that's or that weren't the greatest. Like I found, uh, Huber's doing his own thing and advancing through a puzzle, and I was like, "Hey, I found a side quest. I'm gonna try and tackle this." And it was this weird thing where it dropped me into a boss arena. Like it was trying to do this thing where, "Oh, you found this like portal that's gonna keep dropping you down and down, and eventually gonna land in this boss arena." And the last drop, I was like, "Oh, I'm just I have my double jump. I'm gonna do it, land safely." And then the boss uh, wrecked me because I wasn't prepared for it. So I wanted to go back and fight it again. But it did a different sequence. I don't know if it was a glitch or something. But it just dropped me during the last part of the drop sequence. And wouldn't let me move. And it was a far high enough fall. It insta-killed me every time. And I was like, wait a second. Why is... I was like, no, you let me get here legitimately the first time. Why are you not... Like, this sucks. Man, I feel like that would be frustrating in any circumstance. But especially frustrating while you're streaming as well. Like, that I, like I gave up because like this, yeah. uh, like this boss, it's my current objective and it's a boss fight. And it was a new type of boss. Like I, I think everyone wants to see this. I want to try it. And I couldn't even get back to try it again. So the first time I got there, I was on low health. I was like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother with this. Screw this. Like I'm done with this quest here. And I was just like, eh. So it has a little bit of that going towards it. Like it, it could definitely use a lot more polish. There is some jank there with that to lack of a better word. Um, but I mean, at the same time, I think I had a good time playing with Huber in that situation, but at the same time, that was a very unique way to play the game. And I think most people aren't going to have that same experience and they're going to probably play for like an hour and like most and be like, I'm good. Michael Huber is a tricky devil because (laughs) he'll improve any game. Yeah. I feel like you could be playing the worst piece of shit ever made and he'd be like, it's pretty good. And you'd be like, yeah, it's pretty good. And, like, if you were playing that on your own, you know, you wouldn't give it probably, yeah. I'll be I'm honest. I'm not saying that that's Journey to the Savage Planet. Like, tr- yeah. I'm saying that's Michael No, Huber. no, no. That, that's, yeah. I, I do agree with that. I think it's, like, uh, uh, me, it felt like a like a, around a six game, but mm. with Huber elevated to, like, a swimming in seven experience <laughs> is the best way to put it. Sure. And, like, uh, when I was trying to be kind by saying it's Metroid Prime-like, there were, like, hints of it at best. Sure. But the double like, jump feels like a Metroid. Yeah, like. but, like, it does not go nearly, it didn't even mean it halfway. It's yeah. like it's a shell of Metroid Prime. Do you ever just think to yourself that Metroid Prime Four is coming and that's pretty cool? Yeah. No. No. What? It feels it feels invisible still. I will need to see the trailer before I get excited about Metroid Prime Four. You must not be force sensitive. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I don't sense it. I can't. <laughs> I like there. Like, I feel it. I, yeah, I'm kind of curious, Kyle, because like the, the fact that retro is attached to it now. Mm-hmm. Let, makes me have a little bit more blind faith in it. It's yeah. like I haven't seen anything but retro. They did a good job, an excellent job with those three. But look how long it's been since Retro Prime Three. Well, yeah. it's been a long time, and retro's not the same retro. It's like mm, right. actually, the more you think about it, the more well, it might not be. It sounds insane to say, like I think the Metroid Prime series declines. Hmm. I think one is better than two, and which is worse, or which is better than three. Mm. Um, and so, like, if you're watching their trend, you know what I mean. And also, I'd love Donkey Kong Country and obviously uh, uh, Tropical Freeze. And so, I I know they can do this. I'm scared that I'm scared that there's going to be cutscenes. I'm scared there's going to be people talking. I mean, they're probably going to be talking in it, Kyle. Yeah, but at the same time. 
I think retro has proven they excel at being able to take an older concept and doing something, taking and doing a new take on it, mm-hmm. and doing a new modern take on it, while retaining the essence, the feel of that original one. Yeah, and I know they're gonna be like I, based on what I'm arguing, Kyle is, and to have maybe have a little bit more like faith in them mm-hmm. is they did make the original Metroid Prime trilogy, and yes. you, I would agree that like it probably went down with each entry, like they were like they went that way, trended that way. But given how much time has passed, they get to look at those now and be like. How do we do something not only better, but even maybe a slightly different take? You know what? And like, I yes. think they're masters at that. Because I, I think that's what happened with two. It's like, how do we do this different? And also, I think that one is pretty rushed out. And then three, exactly. Like, how do we? How, I, we don't want to make another Metroid Prime. Let's have different planets. You know, and, and I bet you're right, Damiani. I bet it is that kind of thing. And so, having perspective on all that, they can go back to a core Metroid Prime game, and you don't have to gimmick it. This this might be a pretty far reach, but do you think the mm. kind of gluttony of Metroidvanias that have come out over the last several years have informed Metroid Prime Four at all? Like, do you think that's an interesting th- th- idea? That they're not only taking a look back at Metroid and Metroid Prime specifically, but they're taking a look. And obviously, you know, two D Metroidvanias are different than Metroid Prime. I understand <laughs> that, but I still think one could inform the other. That question to me, Ben, is you're asking us if Metroid Prime Four will have experience points. To me, that's like that would be what what I would grab from Metroidvanias of the of more recent years is experience I, points. I guess that's that's not what I had intended, but yeah. I see where you're coming from. Like it, it could it could have like leveling up your gear. It could have mm. you know leveling up your blaster or whatever. Um, and another thing. I, is like souls like spawns. It works really well in Hollow Knight, mm-hmm. and I think that could work. And I mean, it kind of. So Super Metroid Prime is kind of like Super Metroid. There's just save tanks, right? It's Correct. I mean, it's kind of just like a bench. It's kind of just like a fireplace in a way. Um, yeah, I wonder if there, there's that kind of checkpoint system. You know, I mean, that could be one of the features I could see them putting in there. Um, maybe they stick their guns, but I think one of the things I'd like to see is because. Especially like the more beloved Metroid games, like Super Metroid, uh, even an OG Prime. Yes, there are different ways you can progress through the the zones in the game, the areas, but all the areas are re- by design are required. There are no optional, like entirely optional or like extra areas. I'm thinking like like Hollow Knight. There are whole parts of that game you could just straight up miss. Yeah. If you don't go to them or You're not even mm-hmm. see like the full extent of them. And you know, I, uh, Fallen Order has a really cool, huge, huge area you can easily miss. I would like to see that. I Me mean, too, it's, it's not just a project yeah. more recent, but like right. in the in the absence of proper Metroids, and you know, this is something where the the, the genre has gone and, and like really done well. Cool. This this isn't really, I, I guess, what I would want in Metroid Prime Four, but in a new 2D Metroid, something that I really Ooh. love about Super Metroid and Metroid Zero Mission in particular is, like, you can burn through those games in one or two sittings, and it really feels like a tight adventure. Like, Samus is going and doing this specific task, and the game is long enough that it it just feels intense and exciting the entire time, but it also feels like you get to see a lot of things. It's not like it's one note. The whole way, um, you know what I think. Things are just too long. Yeah, they, they are, Ben. I think another thing they need to take, as I think about this, as I think about 
uh, going back, tracking through areas and having to fight the same monsters just to get more health or rockets that I don't need because I'm topped off. Right. Uh, Hollow Knight has that currency, and so does Souls games, right? right. Uh, just this idea that it is always worth it to kill the enemies because it's always accumulating towards something. You know what's a good feeling? Hmm. When the game doesn't arbitrarily force you to grind, like you don't yeah. need to grind to get through it, but something strikes fear enough into you that you want to do it and yes. you feel good about doing it and you mm -hmm. feel productive about it. You don't need to do that, but the option is there. I love that kind that's of design. It's such a thin line that's it so is. funny, man. It's a very thin line. Yeah, but I know what you mean. Yeah, where, where it's like, that thing terrified me. I'm going to take out these chumps and then take it on. I, yeah. I, I love that kind of design. It's funny because it's, that's not Temtem. <laughs> I don't. I did not poor, feel that in Poor Temptation. Yes. Oh my gosh. But I, I get what you mean. Like Bloodborne. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, oh, dude. Uh, right, just, right. Yeah. Yes. And that's not all in the mechanics either. That's also yeah. communicated visually. Yeah. It's a yeah. whole. It's I'm a whole curious thing. Curious if they would ever dare. Uh, you know the one of the quick quickly the complaints. Not complaints, but like a, a, something that comes over time. Metric comes out. Oh, Samus lost all their her powers and stuff. You got to go find them again. And like that's like the progress. Like through the game is like you can't unlock this area. You've got this power stuff. Would they deign to borrow from Breath of the Wild and give you everything you're gonna have that you need your tools from the start and like go? Hold on a second. Did you just say would they deign? Yeah. Is that a phrase? Would they deign? Yeah. Would they deign? Yeah. I feel like I've heard that before, but like, is in this like, like a British phrase? Yeah. Would like, they deign? Would like from like. Elderly British Maybe people. it's The Witcher. Yeah. The Witcher's rubbing off on me. Would they date? Would they date? Where did they come from? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I was so caught up on that, I missed everything else that you said. I, I feel like it's just an R that grew a little long when you say, would they date? Would they date? <laughs> um, but to the point, instead of like it's the part of the majority of the game is about collecting new abilities, you are given your core set of abilities and the world is designed around having those and you trying to figure out how to progress. So if you come across something and you can't get past, it's actually, you can figure out how to get past it. It's not do you lack something perhaps. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they do that. Uh, more so than Zelda, I think that goes against the grain of Metroid. So oh, I, everything uh, we're talking about goes against. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. specifically, I think, is like yeah. like would, might be one of the worst offenders. But I'm, if you're looking for trying something new and different, yeah. and, and especially talking like with Metroidvania, it's like you aren't going to get new abilities. You're getting everything you have from the start, and like we designed this world around that, and like which way you go is up to you. I wonder if that would work, or too many people complain. I I just had this thought, like the Soul series. Is, is one of my favorite series of video games. It has gone on to inspire other favorite things, such as Hollow Knight. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like... Wow. Dane, to do something that one considers to be beneath one's dignity. Condescending. That's Appropriate. very funny. Yeah. Well used. Yeah. Uh, I'm good on things, taking things from souls. Like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. We did it. Mm -hmm. We 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 have run that into the yes, ground. Yes, re retro should deign to do that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, right. I think like I want to take inspiration from other things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but but I mean like people speaking works in, in Dark Souls. What? There's no like there's no insane cutscenes of, so, of some oh, marine but, telling but, me what but, to do. But, you know? Okay. Right, forget. Right, right, right. I, I yeah. get that. I don't like the cutscenes other than maybe like the like a cinematic intro like. 
scenic thing introducing like a new environment, but yeah. no dialogue. What they should go back to is like scanning like ancient text or something, like an alien language, and that gives you clues, like Outer Wild style, like to figuring out things about the world. Yeah. Like I think that's when Metroid's in the best lore building is mm. when it's presented that way versus like other M where it's just like, okay, no, I don't even Corruption was very guilty of like the incorporating so much of like the dialogue and into the cutscenes. I was like, all right, I don't need this. This is not why I play Metroid. Yeah, I I basically it's funny. This goes this is like a core thing that does not matter. Uh that Samus is just on this mission uh, on her own volition, right? That it's not like, hey, the space marines need you to do this, Samus, go do it. Right. You know, she's a bounty hunter. Like, yes. I, I would just, it's it's weird to me that, like, I like in Super Metroid, she could leave in a second, yes. right? She, her ship's right there. She could leave now. I, That is something that I, Kyle, I love that about Metroid, where it's, like, you don't have those forced cutscenes. You don't have the cute banter. You don't have mm-hmm. the tragedy. Like, no, just do the mission. Like, mm-hmm. you doing the mission, being on this planet, fighting these things and exploring is interesting enough. Like, yeah. you don't have to jam all this bullshit in there. Yeah. Metroid Other M mm-hmm. jams that bullshit all day long. Yeah. Do you like the opening text of Super Metroid? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, hey, if if Metroid Prime 4 has like a 15-minute cutscene to introduce it and then nothing for the rest of it, I'm okay. I'm I'm fine with that even. Uh, Do you know who else uh, deigned to write into Frame Trap? Hmm. Daigo Umahara. Oh, Oh, wow. This is beneath him. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Daigo, a legendary... Yes, it is. Daigo Mm. Umahara, a legendary Street Fighter player. Uh, This is what he had to say. I gotta hear it. Yeah, I can't believe it. The incredible knowledge of fighting games that's constantly on display during the show is staggering and helps me keep me company as I continue to train to be the best. Cool. Wow. Yeah. We're really humble. Inspiring. I bet you caught him with the the title of the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then he he was like, wow, I can't believe how accurate that title is to Mm -hmm. what this show is about. And then he was like, the audience completely agrees with that as well. That people love the title of the show, and then I just can't believe like these these guys. They just know so much about fighting games because they're always talking about them. It's crazy. It's crazy. Uh, are we ready to move on? Sure. Okay. Uh, all right. I'm gonna talk about this is the happy one. Yeah. All right. uh, and it's fun just saying this title. Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp Fe Encore, and I had this thought where. I was criticizing Warcraft 3, and I'm thinking about Tokyo Mirage Sessions, and I'm like, well, if you've played the Wii U version, like, all of the Wii U version, I don't know that, like, necessarily there's enough to justify the price point here. Sure. But... Which is $60? Full on? I believe it is $60, yeah. But as somebody who played a lot of the Wii U version, didn't finish it, but I played a lot of it, I feel like returning to Tokyo Mirage Sessions just speaks to the quality of that game. Like, I'm having a blast. Cool. Um, I'm really having a delightful time. And that speaks to the quality of the design of the game and the tone. And I think a lot of people miss this game. Uh, you know, it is it is not a Warcraft 3 in the sense that it, it wasn't this huge explosive thing. Um, and so I, I think if you are inherently opposed to JRPGs and you don't like JRPG bullshit, of which there is a lot, we could talk about JRPG bullshit all the time. Mm-hmm. You're not going to like this game. 
All, all of those things that you probably don't like are present here. But if you do like it, if you have an affinity for it, if you enjoy the bullshit, I feel like this game revels in it in a way that is super fun. <laughs> like, I like games... We were talking... I don't know if we, we were getting to this point on The Witcher or, like, Dark Fantasy or whatever, but, Kyle, I like games that, like, don't feel like they have to prove something, that are, like, just okay being weird and goofy. Like, this game leans into pop, Japanese pop idol culture in a way that is just silly and fun. Like, I don't really care about idol culture, and I'm having a great time going and being like, oh, I have to go fight <laughs> these mirages so I can learn how to be a better, better performer, and then my my... The ability of my performance is physically manifested in this sphere energy. And the guy who's training me to get better is just this anime nerd who's talking about... He, he makes comparisons to this anime that we've never seen. And he... We were like, oh, we're confused about this anime. And he doesn't care and he just keeps talking. Like, I don't know. It It's just... Sometimes it's fun to just slip into a game that wants to give you a good time. That's yeah. its only mission, is we want to give you a good time. And I think the other thing that I respect about this is, for those who don't know, this game started as a, as a crossover of Shin Megami Tensei and Fire Emblem. And that stuff is there, but it's not like most crossover things, where I feel like most crossover things are so excited by the fact that they're crossing over that they make it their whole thing. Like, oh my god, it's this guy and this guy, and now they're fighting, and whoa, look at it. Isn't it cool that they're here? This game doesn't do that. Uh, that stuff is very much in the background, uh, not beating you over the head with it. If you don't have knowledge of either of those series, you're really not missing that much. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are little references in terms of, like, oh, that's the Fire Emblem level-up sound. Like, oh, this boss is a reference to a Fire Emblem character. This thing that I'm using is a reference to a Fire Emblem character. You can completely ignore all of that. And it goes out of its way to establish an original world, an original conflict. Well, I mean, the conflict is, is pretty hackneyed, but its own version of a hackneyed conflict and uh, its own characters that are really likable and fun, like I said. And... It's the design, like if it was just that, if it was just the charm, I don't think I'd be so adamant about recommending this game. But what I love is like, this is a JRPG that isn't afraid to push back. Um, I feel like a lot of JRPGs are too worried that if they're ch like, they're long, like they're always going to be long. And if they're challenging, no one's going to play them. And... Tokyo Mirage Sessions is not afraid to be like, listen, we put all of this time into these mechanics, and these mechanics are not optional. If you don't <laughs> use these mechanics, you will fail these boss fights. Sure. Do that. Like, and even if it even if you go out of your way to grind, grinding a little bit isn't necessarily like a free pass. You still have to utilize the mechanics. And what they are is if you attack an enemy's weakness, you can chain together other attacks. So it's like, oh, this guy is weak to spears. You hit him with your spear guy, that triggers a fire attack from this guy. By doing that fire attack, this triggers this electric attack from this other person. So it's this really fun chaining of events. And in Encore, you can speed all that up so it goes faster, cool. which is nice. Um, but the enemy can also do that to you. 
So mm-hmm. if they hit you, they can get all of their buddies to have a free attack, and so you have to pay attention to that stuff. Uh, and you have this super meter that builds up, but it builds up very slowly. And so if it's like, oh, if you're just spending it all the time, you're not going to have it for the big boss fight, it's not going to build up in time, and you're probably going to need that to get the edge to get through these pretty ridiculous bosses, uh, which is which is super fun. And I also love when JRPGs have progression that you're excited about all the time. Like, I hate it when... Yeah. Like, you just very quickly are like, yeah, I leveled up, and you don't care anymore. You yeah. want to be excited about leveling up the all the thing. time. You want to be, yes, yes, you always want to be excited about the next thing. Yeah. And this is something that Tokyo Mirage Sessions nails, where because it's so important to chain together these abilities, your weapons are actually giving you new skills. And so... You're leveling up not only your characters, but you're leveling up your weapons. And when you master that weapon, you're not earning any more skills. And so you have to go and you have to make new weapons. But the way you make new weapons is you have to fight more monsters. And so basically everything is feeding into each other. Where it's like, oh, I just killed this monster for the first time. Now I can make a new weapon. Now I can get more skills. And even as you level up... When you get a new weapon, if it's taking you a while to level up your character, when you get a new weapon, you'll get those initial skills quickly. So you'll get that, like, nice dopamine. Like, it's always fun in an RPG when you're, like, in the first ten levels, and getting a new level takes, like, ten minutes as opposed to hours, like it sometimes does later on yeah. or whatever. And so you, you, you're, you're progressing your character, you're progressing your weapons, you're learning new types of passive abilities, and doing side quests for the characters where you get to know them better and you get a peek into their lives, they'll give you a super useful ability that you can only get for doing that side quest. So you're excited about doing the side quest. That's you're cool. You're excited about engaging with the world. Yeah, not all the side quests are great. Um, the ones that specifically focus on the characters are good and give you... They're, they're creative, they're fun, but then like ones that are just in the world where it's like, oh, hey, go bring me this stuff... It's just some like random person. But you also get a move from that? No, you don't. So oh, okay. I'm saying the ones that like are focused on your core cast of characters. Yes. Those are good. Do those. Yeah. The ones where it's just like some person in a dungeon and they're like, bring me this stuff, and then you bring them the stuff, and then you give them they give you an item and it's not even that worth worthwhile. Got so it. So it's not consistent across the board. Um, but yeah, I'm enjoying playing it. It's long. Sure. I'm having a good time. I'm having a good time. It's a good thing. Like the dungeons are pretty lengthy. And, like, like I said, it's fun just progressing weapons and progressing characters. This almost sounds like a slight against the game, but it's the kind of thing where it's like, okay, I'm in a dungeon now. I'm just going to be doing a lot of battling. I can just turn on a TV show and fight. Yeah. It's perfect for that. If that, that sounds appealing to you, yeah. this game has that. Um, but, yeah, good game. Not enough people are paying attention to it. So, Damiani, you're a big Fire Emblem fan. You're a big JRPG fan. I feel like you're not interested in Tokyo Mirage Sessions, and that's totally okay. You don't have to be. But it just seems like something that maybe you would gravitate towards. So <clears throat> I have a copy of the Wii U version. Mm-hmm. It's still unopened I see. On, on top of a shelf. Uh, I was pretty – when this was first announced, I was really excited about mm. this. But I, I, you already elaborated on probably why the reason, like, I had my initial disappointment and probably reservations about the game yeah. was that I was expecting – the more, oh, look, it's Fire Emblem literally meets 
Shin Megami Tensei, right. perhaps Persona, and it's like, oh, strategy-based stuff, you know, like SRP. Right. I was hoping it was going more the SRPG route, maybe, with like a heavy emphasis on social, which actually, ironically, Three Houses kind of fulfills mechanically what I was right. hoping to get out of it. Um, but like my excitement for it kind of diminished when I found out what it was really going to be. And but then it got a lot of praise and stuff. And like this is a game, especially now the, the Switch version's out, and especially when the Switch version was announced, uh, I was like, I need to go play this game. I've heard a lot of good things about this game, and I actually at least give it a try. Um, I will say, like, yeah, like idol culture. I'm not really into that either. Yeah. Um, I, I generally tend to like uh, games that focus on like like younger looking high school age characters. Like it's always a toss up for me. I mean, it's it's a, it's a it's a hurdle I can get over, but like it's always like, eh, I'd rather go with something that chooses something a bit more unique for their cast of characters. But uh, I mean, it everything you said about it, like the it sounded like the hint of the fire mom system. Like you said, like attack a weak point, but then like it does like a, a like you can do like a sword and a fire. It sounds like that kind of like cycle, like that mm-hmm. the, the chain attack is kind of like their spin on not just like the elemental weakness, but also like the 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 triangle system right. as well. It's like, right. oh, that's kind of cool yeah. to hear about that. Right. It's um, it's funny because I feel like if it was maybe a, a more on-the-nose crossover, it probably would have done better as a game. Like, it would have gotten more attention. Yeah. But I, I actually respect the path that they took. I feel, I feel like they took the road less traveled, and I think it makes it a more interesting game. Um, another quick thing about the battle system that is interesting... I love in games where you get a new skill and like Pokemon is like this sometimes where you get a new move and you're like, okay, this new move seems awesome, but I really like the moves that I have. And so I don't feel like there's a perfect solution here. I have to sacrifice something and I may end up regretting that. This game has that. At a certain point, you will be all full up on skills and you're going to have to get rid of something. And there was a moment where I was like, I, hmm. I don't know. Did I make the right choice? And yeah, I, I think that's the mark of a good system where like, where like there are some games where I'm upgrading my character and I almost feel like the game is doing it for me. Like I'm not really making any decisions. So Yeah, that's uh, it's good to hear that. I mean, obviously like that's not like Fire Emblem's strength. I mean, like in general, it's mm. like, oh, which weapon do I take in, and you know, right. do I have? And I have other people to cover for that. If I have no, like, it's right. who? It's a, it's a strategy yeah. game. But like yeah. the the Shimagami Tensei end of it, like that sounds more intriguing. I'm I'm kind of curious because this one I don't know the the lexicon, like the terminology I use in here, is it more heavily reliant on like the Shin Megami Tensei universe, like like spells and stuff. So spells are or the unique fr- are, are SMT spells. Okay. So ice is bufu. Bufu. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That that's that's what I was curious uh, about. You know, lightning is zeo. That sort of thing. Okay. That I mean, but like that stuff. I mean, you pick up on. it. Oh yeah. No. No. Quickly. It's nice yeah. that they did. I didn't know yeah. if they crafted like a unique lexicon just for this. No. Which no, no, no. would have been they're, a little they're, strange. They're taking, they're taking spell names from. Uh, the Switch version. Uh, yeah. If this is like huge spoilers for like in terms of differences, and if you don't know yet, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, added like cameos or anything like that. Like so I, are, I saw are... like a trailer and it showed like some stuff, and I was like, yeah. "What is this?" There's a a Persona Five Joker outfit that you can get, oh. which I haven't gotten yet. Okay. Um, and I believe, and I haven't done these yet either. I believe there are like EX side story quests that you can do that are unique to this version, but I. I have to be careful because I haven't done those yet either, okay. so I can't really okay. speak to those. But but there, there's 
extra stuff for all the stuff that was previously in the, like all the, the DLC that nice. was in the Wii U version is in this version. Okay, yeah. I think yeah. that helps justify the price a little bit better than right. something like uh, Tropical Freeze, which yeah. like it's like here's just the game again, and like understandably people are upset about that, but like something right. includes like all the old content plus some new stuff. That's pretty nice. Right. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I. <laughs> Maybe this is wrong to assume, but I feel like no, almost no one played Tokyo Mirage Sessions, so it's, I feel like I'm almost talking... It's not, but I almost feel like I'm talking about it as a new game. And maybe that is being too generous about it. Like, maybe maybe I should be more discerning about its full price point. But uh, either way, I really do think it's enjoyable. If you, if you have a capacity for some bullshit, <laughs> uh, it's, it's really fun. But yeah. Uh, would you guys like to hear another uh, testimonial? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, of course. There's more? There's more. Wow. Yeah, they just keep coming. So one of my favorite people in the industry, uh, one of my favorite just directors, people, like, I don't know, this this person is, is I really look up to this person. Okay. And that is Hideki Kamiya. Oh, cool. Uh, creator of, of many, 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 Ooh. many incredible games. Yeah. And uh, this is what he had to say about Frame Trap. This show sucks. Oh, it's actually kind of a compliment coming from him. Is it? Yeah. He could have said he, worse. He didn't use profanity. <laughs> he he yeah, he didn't use worse. profanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's like neutral for him. Mm. Yeah. He could have blocked us all, you know. And stuff yeah. Like, yeah. It, it, well, you know, who knows? Maybe he did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well. Um, he spoke yeah. about you. That's good. It is. Uh, it is time for the 100th. Hotake! Double chop on Ooh. that one. Double chop. Um, and this, this may end up being a poor decision, but I had a thought and I was like a hundred episodes, you know, we've done a lot of Hotakes. Some of them are fun, goofy ones. Some of them are serious, you know, cr heavily criticizing the industry or questioning the industry or things that were going on. And I was like, well, let's turn that inward. Let's, Ooh. let's Hotake easy allies. Please. Let's, let's, let's get brutal about us. Yeah. And so I was like, well... Maybe maybe to start off this conversation, uh, to the both of you, what what do you think is different now with Easy Allies compared to four years ago? To episode one? Well, n not you can look outside of Frame Trap as well. You can look into Frame Trap, mm -hmm. but uh, just in general with Easy Allies. So I think I was thinking about this a lot. Ben uh, is uh, community um, at the end of game trailers. I think we were finally starting to build a community. Mm -hmm. When I first joined game trailers, it didn't seem like there was a community. There's definitely a time at game trailers where I felt like I was just kind of making stuff into a void. Yes. Yeah. And that was normal. Yes. And that was kind of just, that was just how you ran a website, right? Right. Um, the sense of community I've gotten <coughs> throughout the last four years is insane. Uh, it is what Easy Allies is to me. It's just a group of people who appreciate us, uh, who keep us afloat. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, like, personally, I think of my obligations toward this community a lot. I think of, you know, not wanting to disappoint them, wanting to do good things for them, uh, what they will like, you know, just, like, uh, the community is going to hate this, and here's why. Uh, running... Running all of my ideas through that filter a lot, mm -hmm. personally. Um, maybe to just 
flip that on its head. Yeah. I think when you do, we do have a strong sense of community here. Like yeah. there, are, there are a lot of people, when I see them in Twitch, that's like, I immediately know that person. I know who that is. I've, I've seen them for years. Um, do you think that presents a risk at all where maybe like mm, you're too in your own bubble and you're not, not aware of like, a, like you're, you're maybe catering too hard to a small number of people rather than, than taking a broader look? Is that, is that a danger? Yeah, it's funny. It's, it's, it's because we're like, because of Patreon, right? Because we exist out of people's generosity, mm -hmm. I do feel like you got to kind of make your patrons happy. Yes. First, that should be goal number one is, sure. is because, you know, w whatever income they have, they're giving a portion of it to us just to exist. Uh, so that's already like pretty crazy. And so, yes, Ben, especially as artists, um, you should be making your own thing that you want to be making. That should be your first goal. And that is really what the patrons want anyway. They want you to be making the things that you want to be making. Um, so, but yeah, uh, that's such a hard thing is, is I do consider it maybe, I maybe over consider it for sure. Um, but yeah, I do feel like there's an absolute obligation there. Go ahead. Yeah. Thinking about like yeah, to put that in perspective too, Kyle. Like I feel like thinking about the evolution in terms of four years of like that process as well. Like transitioning from game trailers to easy allies and what we were trying to do at the beginning where it was like, what what do we even do with this? Like, do do we bring back older shows? Do we do like what do we do? And you know, w w and like Patreon was still new to us, but we were like, hey, like we're we're just going to do what we want to do that we, what we thought was going to work, I guess with like the resources that we had. It's like, right. this is like our best plan of attack and seeing how that's evolved. Like the thing is, I do agree with you. I do agree on a personal level of feeling a responsibility towards what is in the best interest, not like of us as well as patrons, uh, because they come first and foremost. And then like, obviously streaming stuff. It's like, what do our, like what would get Twitch subscribers? Like I, I deal with a little bit of that as well. Sure. But like it's you're still feeling obligated to an audience, one one or the other, but yeah. more heavily towards Patreon, obviously. But like your question, Ben, though, about like it sometimes it does feel a little like I don't maybe not insular, but like uh like having some blind spots because like you are so focused on this and like when something's working like this, it, it, it it's making them happy, everyone's happy, the machine is like running like a well-oiled machine, it's working. But at the same time, I do tend to like look at I look just as much as I've ever done at what other people are doing content wise because I like to see like what are the current trends, what is popular and what about those I like trying to figure out what makes that thing popular because it's a lot of it can always be attributed to personality but like there's always something about content. There's usually a few things they do that's like wow, that's the thing. Like they thought of that like it seems simple but no one was doing that before but they're doing it and that's it. That's the difference between theirs and everyone else who's doing this right here is like like you're a genius whether you realize it or not. But like there are times here where I feel like looking at that content like it, it's a the part of the equation here that I've alluded to is like there's like there's nine of us mm -hmm. and like nine of us how we figured out how to work together or work individually on our like our own things like that system there it does feel some like there's times that over the past four years like we're at a point now where there are certain things that like they're definitely are intriguing to try but like it would take 
more than an individual effort and it would like have to divert things. And now you have to like think about that. Like, is right. this something that is worth doing? Because if it, if it, the payoff, if it works would be great, but if it fails, what have you taken away to make this work? And now you've like ruined, like, you know, you took those away from patrons who wanted to pay for those. And at the same time, you've just done something that you said you believed in and it failed. It's like, how does that reflect on you? Like, it feels like there's a lot more pressure on you need to do something that is going to work. Like, you can't take a lot of as many risks, I feel like. you, you, if you And if you do a risky thing, it doesn't pay off. It's like, I, I feel like feeling that, like, that not backlash from the audience, but like a personal backlash of like a voice inside your head saying, remember how that went wrong? Like, don't do that again. Like, you need to, like, stick to things that are a little bit more safer that fit in there. And I kind of worry about that sometimes. Mm. Like, I wonder for, like, especially for me specifically, I worry if that has, like, become the predominant way I think about things, especially on a subconscious level. Because it feels like four years ago, I was definitely, like, oh, like, crazy stuff. Like, especially even at game trailers towards the end, like, even before the end, I was like, there's so many crazy things we can do here and stuff. Like, I, I, I want to try and stuff. And now it's like, I feel way more reserved about a lot of things now hmm. than I did back then. And because I don't want to, like, upset the balance and, like, respect that we have a team of – like, it's a team thing. It feels more of a team now. Like, I don't want to – like, it's not shit talking on game trailers at all. Like, mm. there was a different type of team back then. Absolutely. And it was like – it felt like a social team more, like, than anything. But, like, a lot of hard work went into that. But this is more of, like – I feel like a legitimate team where we're all working towards – we need to all be working towards something because it's, like, it's our thing now. We own this. It's ours. Yeah. And it, it, it's a different level of pressure, I feel, than I felt ever before. And I wonder if that has, how that has changed my perspective on taking, wanting to try out new things because it's a greater degree of responsibility because like the eight, the eight other people I work with here, it's like you face to face, you see them like you, there is a level of a little bit more protection. I think when you're at a bigger company and stuff where it's like, you just have to like res responsible, your boss, you can work with your coworkers and stuff. If you don't like them, whatever, you just got to get along. But like right. that does not, that doesn't work here. You have to like, that has to work. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think something that you said in there that, that I find is, is super true is a, you know, and I don't, I don't want to speak for anybody else, but from my perspective, like, I, I genuinely like and get along with all of you guys. Like, you know, we could sit around and argue about something like we do in Game of the Year, and I walk away from that with zero hard feelings or any sort of attacks or anything. It's just like, I just know these guys so well. I know where they're coming from. I feel like we can get in a room and be honest with each other and it can be constructive, and I'm really grateful for that. I don't think you get that in a lot of places. I yeah. don't think there are many places mm -hmm. you can work where it's as in sync with each other as we often are. And it's not all the time, but more often than not, I feel like that's true. With that being said, um, the way Easy Allies started, the way that it kind of felt is, like, when we did this thing, we had zero expectations. Yeah. And that that, that is very important to understand because of, of how it informed us going forward. And so when it took off and it got huge we were like oh my god what are we gonna do and so i think it was very much like okay brandon's going and he's handling this 
Blood is going and he's handling this. Huber's doing this. Kyle is doing this. Ian is doing this. And in a lot of ways, that's still the case. Like, still the, riding off that moment, that initial momentum. No, no, no. I mean, I'm just saying, like, there's still there's still a low number of us and a lot to do, and sure. people are kind of um, they they have specific responsibilities, and so I think sometimes that can make collaboration a little bit tough because it's like, oh man, I want to do this thing with this person, but I have these responsibilities and they have those responsibilities. And that's going to take their whole week. So when are we going to do this new thing? Mm -hmm. And that's neither the person who wants to do it nor the person that they want to collaborate with fault. But there are there are times where it's just like, ah, I, I wish it was a little bit easier to just go and make something with somebody else. Because yeah. I feel like in some ways we're all making things individually by necessity. And sometimes I wish we were... I, I don't know if that makes sense. It to does you. make sense to me, oh, absolutely. Yeah. For sure. I mean, yeah, I, I the one thing I, I I mean I think about this a lot, especially over like maybe the like last year specifically. Uh like thinking about like the the like, the future of easy allies and stuff and like we're like and you asking this question now, uh to put it in perspective, I do think yeah, like th- th- to put it bluntly, I, I do feel like they're would be it would be better for easy allies as well as potentially our patron I think our patrons and our community at large would rather see this is more things like if we were to like take easy allies now and like cut everything I would say like besides like maybe the main podcast and maybe frame trap and this like just nuke everything else mm-hmm. and come up with like three or four more ideas they're not a lot it's not it's not quantity it's quality three or four more shows regular shows involve multiple allies together yeah. produce shows i think that is like like if i'm being honest that's what the community wants like that's what the patron like pay, there are a lot of patrons who are giving us money for whatever reason to do what we really want to do they, right. they 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 may not care about that as much but like i think if you ask mo- the majority of them the honest answer like their true feelings would be what i'm saying as well like I want to see you all doing stuff. They love when they see us like doing skit. Like I just want to see you guys like get together, do like a cool betting special, like once every like two or three months. Can you make that happen, or can you just like do a scripted show? Like it'd be once a month, but like just like get like four or five of you together and just do that. Like that's all you have to do. Like I I do feel like going forward, like that would be like the best course of action. But at the same time. It speaks to like how we do have a really good company, or mm-hmm. sorry, community. You have a good company, but a good community. Sorry, that is very like generous to us. That they are happy as long as we seem happy and are making stuff. They seem to be happy with it. But at the same time, I do feel this degree of like, it's like a voice in your head says like you you can do like it's like the voice saying like do mo- more with your life like do do more with this like. They're like even like this is your thing. You don't get not many people get this chance, and not many people get to be in this position. And it's like don't squander this. Like don't get complacent because things are going well and what you're doing is working. Because the, there's always a there's always an expiration date on everything, and you know there might it could be like next month, you know, or you know ten years from now, or even longer than that. That like Easy Ally is like is not what it is anymore or like goes away or whatever happens. And it's like, do you want to look back and be like, man, I really wish I had done this thing with, you know, when I had the chance. Cause now I'm like working, you know, 
dumb job or whatever, you know, I'm working right. at PR jobs here because it's all I could get or whatever you're doing at that PR point. PR jobs are cool. Yeah. I, I mean, but like, no, they're not dumb jobs. But like, from, yeah. let me clarify. From sure. my perspective, yeah. no PR job is going to beat like what we're doing right oh, now. Right. So it, I might, it might be another phase of your life. Like, I mean, great new people and stuff like that. But the yeah. actual work I do, I don't think will necessarily be like, it won't be remotely the same as this. Yeah. But I also can't say it might be as satisfying. There might be something I do in the future that's like way more gratifying I just don't know about yet. Like that's mm-hmm. the beauty about possibilities. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, like I do think, like I think about this a lot and stuff, but like it also starts to lead into like, a, like it feeds into my anxiety uh, and like uh, it leads towards like the existential crisis moments where I'm like, oh gosh, I start thinking about things I don't need to think about like, this like this puts me in like I'm gonna have a breakdown like stop like th- like walk away from this now and stuff like it, it's it's hard because I want to think about it I because I want to be able to challenge it and like think of like good solutions but at the same time like it's it's also like a very terrifying prospect because it asks you to think about things you're like usually the most scared about like finality ends and stuff like that and it's like. The worst thing you can think about, because I think most people get by by in the back of the head accepting it will happen at some point, but don't actually face it until the last minute. And they would rather ignore its existence than try and do something like think about it, which might incentivize them or motivate them. Like do something more with the time you're given than just like sitting back and like mm-hmm. just enjoying the ride. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um. Something that uh, I, I get the feeling about with Easy Allies, um, as, as somebody who does a lot of like the editorial coverage and is involved with like non-editorial stuff as well, sometimes I feel like I'm pulled between different worlds and both things take a lot of time. And sometimes I see that schism of frustration in the audience as well and it makes complete sense to me where they're like, why aren't you guys playing more and covering more and it's like yes however that takes a lot of time and i'm I'm not i'm not saying what was me it's just a fact of the matter like that takes a lot of time right reviews take a lot of time we'll be building gundam models for five hours next right week. yeah right right, right. and so, so, so it is like these two sides i get that yes yeah. it is it's, it's completely different worlds and like the fun goofy comedic more scripted side also takes a lot of time. That takes a lot of time and energy. To be funny and to be creative, you need time and space to let those things happen. You can't make that like in a factory. You just can't do it. And so sometimes I feel like, all right, we're not doing either one of these as well as we could be because we're trying to do both. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy doing both. I, the, like, the reason why it is the way that it is is I think a lot of us enjoy doing both. And so that's why things have continued the way that they have. But I do often get this sense that like ah either one of these facets could be a lot better if more complete energy was put into them i yeah i know i i agree with everything you said it's totally true and yeah. you probably would know one of the best like probably with all the stuff you're like feel pulled between trying to do all that right but again like feeding into like the like facing the harsh truth there are parts of me that like think that like at some point we might have to just make a call and say like we aren't going to be able to do uh, in the current form we do it we can't do it like this mythical elevation of both right. isn't going to work. We either there's the only one of two options: kill one 
and focus on the other, do that one exceptionally well and we reach new heights, or you have to reimagine how you're doing both and come up with a whole new way to like merge them and do something brand new, which is even more challenging than that. Right. Um, and you know, that, that's the scarier route. I think it has the bigger payoff, but like it also is the biggest pitfall mm-hmm. if it doesn't go well. And either of those process, I think, is gonna force people to like con- confront, you know, complacency. It's like this is a big change. You're right. going a lot. All, almost all of us would have to like give up something you really like doing. And then it's like the hard question: Is this is this why you like being here? Like it starts. You see where I'm getting? It starts a- asking all those questions, and you know they start coming to your mind. And I I feel like there are times where like, what is more valuable to you? Are you happy in this moment and do you like that happiness and do you not want to stir the pot because it could lead to like ruining that happiness and you can maybe never get that back. No matter what path you go forward, you just ruin something and you will never get back to that level. But if you don't, there's that what if of like we could be better. We could totally be like bigger, whatever it is in our heads that we have for us. But unless you stir that pot, you can't go there. And it's like, oh, it's terrifying. But like how close we are and stuff it's like i never want to be that one person i'm not doing that <laughs> it's like that's not me like if there's like a group of people who want to like do that i will like we, we can discuss this but like i will never be that one person's like ah here we go we're getting pushed off the edge here we go because like that's like every, that's too much like you know the weight on your shoulders like nope <laughs> that's not me i can't do that i'm terrified of that that's why like i'll probably like never be like in charge of anything like that. It's like, yeah, I'm just not that. It is hard <laughs> because I don't think yeah. any of us are like in charge. Yeah, right that's, <laughs> that's also part of the thing too. Yeah. I think like it's, yeah, no one wants to do that. So it's like, uh, okay. I mean, but I mean, what's the saying? Like, yeah, uh, never mind. But like the, the, the point I'm trying to across, like, you know, there's nothing wrong with having like, in enjoying and reveling in simplicity, I guess. Like where like if you're good enough of where you are and you're happy, there's nothing wrong with like taking that and embracing that. Like for each person, they have their different needs and wants and where they want to push themselves. And it's like if you feel completely satisfied with where you're at, like you don't I think it's okay, but like be be warned though that like there is so much there is the saying that there's too much of a good thing is very true. Hmm. Like it, you can reach a point where it's like you've had so much, so, something so much for so long that it becomes so common, it loses what was special about it. Mm-hmm. So I urge you to like, be, that's why I was saying like the whole thing in my, my back of my head, like do something while you have the time because like you might kill the thing you love by, but through inaction actually. Mm. So like that whole thing about like, no, I'm not gonna be the one to push it. You know, who's to say like, you know, by not doing that, one of us not doing that's like, it, like it spoils it for everyone as well. Like it's this is the whole existential crisis thing. Like I hate like no, I love that. Like, yeah, you know, thinking of these past, it's, it's like oh, this. like these are the real like terrors and stuff. It's yeah. like uh, yeah, because these are things that matter. Like these are things that like change your life and stuff. And it's like ooh, it is yeah. really interesting, Ben. Because yeah, I think that is a huge difference from week one to week wherever we're episode one hundred right now. Um, is that. Uh, Easy Allies is uh, the careers of the nine of us, right? Mm-hmm. It is it is how we subsist and live. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that when we were planning everything. No. And it was like, hey, let's yeah. just have let's just do some goofs, right? Let's get Damiani in, even you know. It's just like, yeah, let's just do this. 
and, it, and so yeah. it was like literally let's just do some goofs yeah yeah, yeah. and yeah. so it is it's it is dramatically different in that way and that it's a it's a business now yeah, yeah. and it, damiani those things that you say ring so true it's really interesting um, i mean yeah do you even do either of you even think about like easy allies existing beyond us like one day, like we're so old and stuff that like, oh, younger people need to come in and like do what we do. Or like, I actually do. Like, like I, I see all of us like moving a, on one day and like it's a just gradual like, replacement. Yeah, yeah, like it's a whole different like cast. And not a, like not immediate though. <laughs> yeah, not, a, not not like the, the new the uh, what is it the new class Saved by the Bell the new yeah, class. Yeah, yeah. No, not like not that. Not like that. Not uh, like, like that. But over time, it's like yeah. someone's just pause and goes like Giant Bomb. That's the last original member. They're gone. Like yeah. this is a whole new crew. Yeah, I think one day Giant Bomb will be completely different people who weren't there at the beginning. Yeah. You know who it's going to be? Hmm. Milo. <laughs> yeah? Milo. Jones's son, Milo. Jones's son, Milo. I yeah. guess I should... I, I just acted like everybody knew who Milo was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That'd be cool. He's, he's the final one who replaces Jones and then it's a completely new cast at that point? Or were you saying he's the first... Of the replacements. <laughs> I feel like Milo's the last. It's the key. Milo's so the last. It's okay. still that legacy. It's like the Screech is still here. That's how Saved by the Bell, the new class works. Screech was Screech still was there. Still yeah, there. yeah. And so, yeah, it's kind of that. Yeah, it's some, like we, uh, we still got a job. of continuity there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little bit. But no, Damiani, I do think of it existing for a long time. I think that basically mm-hmm. it's so weird. You, it, We're going to be forced to be flexible mm-hmm. uh, in that... Our jobs are so weird. Twitch is so weird. Twitch will not be the same one year from now. You know, it's just Boy, all this constantly changing. I, I think, yeah, man, I think I think Twitch and YouTube mm-hmm. are completely different than they were at their inception. Yeah. In ways that are bad. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're completely different. Yeah. Um, and real talk you know, I think it is easy for us to be like, oh, man, you know, we were able to build an audience and we, you know, had the right ideas at the right time. I think it's easy to say that. But but honestly and truly, I think if Game Trailers wasn't a video-focused site that in its own way was priming itself to transition to new platforms that rose to prominence, I don't think it would have made it. <laughs> you know, I think, yeah. if, I, think if, I think if Game Trailers was primarily a text-based site, Yeah, I don't necessarily think we would be here. <laughs> mm. No. Oh, yeah. It, I mean, we've seen a lot of text-based yeah, sites right. drop off. Some might would have been hastened. Yes. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. Do a whole retro on that someday. Retros was one of those things. Milo's going to want to produce. Let's keep doing re- retros. Yeah, Milo's yeah. going to be like, I'm presenting the game trailers retrospective oh, yeah. Yeah. with interviews. Please, with- Milo. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Uh, there was something I was going to say, but I forgot now. Never mind. I feel like we could we could spend a long time. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. that was a hot topic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I I worry like for episode one hundred. I was like, okay, you know, let's let's turn it inward. But I also am constantly afraid of like. I don't want it to look like navel gazing mm-hmm. because I think mm, that sucks yeah. too. Oh you yeah, know, I, I sure. want it. I guess I just wanted to invite the audience into the idea that we're thinking about us too, you know, yeah. and we want to get better too. Um, and I don't want to do that all the time. I think doing it all the time is a little much. But but you know, yeah, I like, I like having little windows into uh, Damiani's anxiety. Yeah. Are we ready for some emails? Yeah. Uh, 
I've got a fun one to start us off. Oh, boy. For episode 100. Yeah. Um, regular email contributor Brandon had uh, some fun things to share with us. Frame Sharp 100, stats, facts, Ooh. and other things. Oh, these are good. Yeah, 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 yeah. These are very good. Very, very, very good. Uh, I'm not going to be... There's a lot here. Yeah. There's a massive amount here, so I'm not going to be able to read all of this, but uh, there's, some great, there's some good stuff here. Congratulations on reaching the milestone of 100 episodes of Deep Dive Discussions, Hotakes, and getting caught and subsequently breaking out of the namesake. To celebrate, I thought I would compile some fun stats to look back and see how the show has evolved. The longest episode to date was episode 80, Heart Collector, at 3 hours, 56 minutes, and 5 seconds. What's special about this episode is special guest Maximilian Dude. Oh, nice. To get back. Nice. Uh, stop by to talk about Mortal Kombat and the state of fighting games. But episode 36, A Neon Green X, and episode 21, A Rush of Games, came very close at 3 hours, 53 minutes, and 33 seconds. And 3 hours, 51 minutes, and 36 seconds, respectively. 4 hours remains the goal. 4 hours remains the goal. Yeah. Well, Five-hour frame trap kind of became a meme, and that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, fun note about episode 21 is it also appeared... It also featured a special guest with Ryan Stevens, who's the mm. only other guest to appear on Frame Trap besides Max, unless you want to account the enigmatic Don Casanova, who actually appeared on episode 85, Making Mario. It's so frustrating, because hmm. Don has anxiety about being on podcasts, which I understand, yeah. but he's wonderful. Yeah. Like, I'm not blowing smoke up his ass. Mm-hmm. He just does a good job. Yeah. That's why people want him on the show. Yeah. We love you, Don. Uh, on the opposite end of the length, a uh, woman thinking noodles and broth episode would be the shortest frame trap because of the constraints of E3, but shockingly, episode 13, an exciting time for RPGs, had a runtime of only 50 minutes and one second. Oh, poor RPGs. It is the only frame <laughs> trap that is under an hour. Wow. Uh... <laughs> And while Frame Trap has earned its reputation for being a lengthy podcast, it didn't start out that way. While the first four episodes hovered around two hours, the next three were closer to an hour and a half. It wasn't until episode nine, Pokemon Go Fever and Fighting Game Highs, did the normal average of around two and a half hours become a much more common occurrence. Did you know Frame Trap actually didn't first go beyond three hours until episode 20, The Dragon Rises? Yes, I knew about, that. Uh, oh. oh, I knew that. <laughs> Frame Trap Superfan. Mm-hmm. And wow, did it break the length record at that time in style, blowing past three hours and settling just a little more than three and a half. Uh, quick note about Noodles and Broth. Half have not received an episode number while the first two did. <laughs> episodes 6 and 31 are not recognized, but for 2018 and 19, these episodes, these specials are not identified as a numbered entry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's pretty fun to go back and see how the flow of that's titles an issue. Yeah, that's an issue to me of, of titles across Frame Traps history. The very first episode was "What Do We Want Out of Final Fantasy 15." Final Fantasy 15 was a focus across many Frame Traps, and I'll get to that a little later. But in this context, uh, it was the thumbnail to the aforementioned episodes 1, 13, and episode 18, a Final Fantasy 15 and PSX extravaganza. But the funniest video titles go to episode two, which is called. What in the world is wrong with Warcraft? Then episode 12 is Warcraft is back. <laughs> episode 12 is also where the Easy Allies logo, which had just been in the opening title edit, and every episode prior was dropped. And from that episode forward, the title has just been Frame Trap without the branding. There is so much to dig into here. Brandon, thank you for compiling this. I'm sorry we're not going to be able to read all of this on the air, but it means a lot to me that you you went through and and meticulously did all of these these minute little facts. That's fun. That's very good. Yeah. Um, our next email is from Brandon, who says, Devalued, 
question mark. Greetings, allies. There seems to be a good deal of secrecy around the profit models for developers and publishers as we move into the inevitable streaming and subscription-based future. I've heard some anecdotes from EZA and other outlets about how developers are happy having their games on Game Pass, but it's still somewhat unclear. The attached photo is from the 2020 State of the Industry Report published by DDC. For listeners, the question posed to developers was, are you concerned that subscription services will devalue <coughs> games? And the answers are split almost evenly. 27% say yes, 28% say maybe, and 26% say no. It seems to indicate that some game makers are in on it, while others are not. Do you guys have any insight or guesses as to how developers will get paid under this new model? Do you have any fears that this will lead to less games being made because there's less profit to be made? Very interesting question. Um, no insight. I do not have an insight yeah. into how people are paid uh, through subscription models, and I do think they do try to keep that even NDA'd. Um, uh, <laughs> I think they don't want other games knowing other game what other games are making. Uh, do I fear that we'll get fewer games? I don't. I mean, there could be fewer games. There's just thousands and thousands of games in a year. Um, uh, <sighs> that don't make money. I don't know. It's, it's so freaky. It's freaky to see how hard it is on steam to make a dollar, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to even profit. Uh, and so like you could say like, Hey, it could be healthy to have fewer games, but it's, what's funny is that each of those games is a vision. Uh, even the trashy ones, even the, uh, no, some of them are, do not have vision, excuse me. But, uh, a lot of those games have vision. A lot of them are from artists. And so it's hard to say like, Oh yeah, I hope this, it becomes harder to make video games. Um, but yeah, I do. I, I don't. I, it's just like I, I'm scared of Netflix. I'm I'm scared like Netflix does not run a profit, right? Mm. I'm scared that these streaming yeah. deals are existing now because they have to exist. You have to pay these studios this much money to even get them to uh, say yes to you. Uh, I am scared of all of this kind of falling through. Absolutely, um, same as I am with Netflix. Uh, I I I can see it stop working and then i could see us returning to a model that is already continuing so i could see streaming kind of like s slow down exclusive deals with streams streaming slow down uh and are you talking about just with games or with video as well with games um <laughs> with video it's hard to go back right i, I can't see cable on the rise i think I think it's reasonable to assume that we're going to reach that point with games very quickly, yeah. where it's it's going to be too hard to go back. Yeah, because I, I think once you once you condition an audience to something, I don't think you can revert that. Yeah, I mean, look at what happened twenty years ago. Mm -hmm. Music was going that way, and everyone's like, "Oh." Technology, like internet speeds aren't fast enough for movies and stuff like that. But like people are like, it's coming and stuff. And like, eh, it's coming, and then like it absolutely did come. Like it, oh, they all follow suit and stuff. Um, your question about what the part about whether or not we think there might be fewer games. I think the f well devaluing uh, games, and I think that's an interesting or, way to phrase it. Was there a part about like developers making less games or something like that? Or uh, at the end of it, I thought, or did I just mishear that? Sorry. Do you have any fears that will lead to less games because being made being made because there's less profit to be made? So that point right there, I think we're not there yet, but once physical media is no longer the dominant media in video games in terms of that, or you are reliant 
on having to be on a certain service and you are not in control of that, you have like you you have to rely on them. It's like the old network mentality, like TV network, where it's like yeah. you're not valuable enough to be on here. You don't get to be on here, and everyone rejects you. Where do you go then? Like you try and like self-publish, like you know, have a streaming deliverable. Like oh, like your system can't play it. Like and there's no more physical media. Like oh, just like put it out like on a website or something for people to download. Like that. No, it's a console. You can't do that. It's like, oh, okay, so you got to go the indie PC route or you're just not on consoles anymore. And it's like, oh, that's uh, – I can see that reality happening like maybe a generation from now and some publishers being strong-armed out because like they their games aren't seen as valuable to the service. like they, they Or else they're going to have to take such a low cut that's not worth it to them that they don't make enough money back. on uh, They don't get enough return on their investment for their, their game. Yeah, I do want to say I, I think there are very few game designers who step in uh, with the intention of making money. Yeah. Uh, there, mm. there are plenty of other careers to go chase if you want to become rich. <laughs> um, however, we do have game publishers who are very concerned with becoming rich. And I think you kind of already see it. You already see Activision and EA making fewer and fewer games on a given year. Uh, maybe Ubisoft as well if we really track the, the numbers. Uh, and so, the, yeah, I mean... Yeah, I can see a future where there are fewer games. It's the same. I can see a future where there are fewer Netflix exclusives on a given week. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you look at Disney Plus. It's like you're already bored with it. Like, when's the next thing? When's the next? Thing? I think that's like the future for everybody. It's like, well, I want more uh, because it's just simply not sustainable to make as many things as we want. I would maybe argue that humanity just has that problem in general. Yeah, be beyond it's gross. just streaming. Yeah. Um, Maybe I'm just feeling especially optimistic, but I feel like we've been through so many panics where mm -hmm. it's like mobile is the future, consoles are going to die. Yeah, that panic sucked. That panic sucked ass. Yeah. Oh, everything has to be free to play. It's it's the, the viable business model. Single player games are dying. You have to have multiplayer. Like all of these things. Like DLC is going to ruin everything. Mm -hmm. And... I'm not saying everything is good. It's not. It's not everything. Not everything is good. There, there are things that certainly deserved to be scrutinized and things that need to be improved. But right now, I'm almost amazed at how many things are coexisting relatively successfully. And there, there are different games that are taking different avenues, and they're all working. And yeah. there are certainly failures as well. I'm not trying to throw things under the bus, but. You are getting single-player games. You are getting rele releases of older games that are doing very well. You're getting remakes and remasters. You're also getting totally new games. You're getting games that are existing on a subscription model. You're getting games that are doing well on a subscription service. You're getting free-to-play games. You're getting mobile games that are not influencing, you know, they're not taking anything away. You're getting, like, through the, the through Kickstarter, you're getting genres, like, almost resurrected. Yeah. And so there, there's so much happening that it's hard for me to point to one thing and be like, oh, this is it, this is going to doom us, when I feel like the industry has fought very hard against that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like, don't we see year after year many good games get rewarded just by virtue of being good? Yeah. Like we talked about Stardew Valley, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so, I don't know. I... I think there's a lot of opportunity. Sure. Yeah. I guess, like, I hear it more in, like, film, though. Like, Oscar-winning movie or Oscar-nominated movie doesn't do financially well. Mm -hmm. You know? The, the, it, it, 
and also like so to that point i could see that even making something that's good and well received doesn't automatically guarantee it's gonna even from their own like point of view successful for them but uh i I don't know if we're hearing any more of that generally than any time before so i wouldn't like argue really want to argue that point but this made me think about is uh when we're talking a little bit earlier like like streaming catalogs like what you're seeing a lot of them do especially netflix is like just trying to get anything because they just want to have as diverse amount of like even like the small things like yeah we just need something because as you said people want something new want something new so yeah. if you just th- throw a lot of crap up there you know good stuff with the crap it's like someone will at least try it and like oh you know bought me like a day or something maybe that will have the opposite effect of what I was arguing earlier that like you might see more games being made because they need to fill that need like there's a demand for that on these like streaming servers we need more games like yeah. there's such a high demand for them. please just get like it they're put, gonna be warcraft 3s though they're yeah, gonna be yeah. rushed out yeah it's, they're not gonna be great games but yeah. like at the same time it might be like it could lead to the whole thing like when we look at like the eShop or any storefront when they have all those like 99 cent or less games that are trashed and stuff it's like you might see a lot of that just on the streaming service catalog because they need it or it does open up like you know Microsoft phones are spending a lot of money. Hey, we need things on like our, our Game Pass. Like we like we need more now. Like we need way more. So like let's uh, pay for this, pay for that, pay for this. And so like these games that start happening are they're funded. It's like oh, what we don't have to worry about that because we're on here and stuff like that. Whether uh, not you get invited back might be a different story depending on how your performance, but. Yeah. It might offer a different way. Like some games might thrive better on there because, like, that barrier to entry is no longer like a sixty dollars sale or forty dollars right. sale. It it'll be interesting to see. Like, I don't feel exactly qualified to like even make like the greatest prediction on this. Right. But like, I could totally see a future where like things go like crisscross. Like, you go like it, things go inverts. Like, oh wait. Things don't work the exact same way we think they work now, but based on like predominantly physical sales, because like that gap's closing. They're like you know the percentage of what are digital, what are physical, and then like percent of what either is just streaming. You know when that future comes, that like it's all predominantly streaming. Yeah, I, I think it'll look. I think the landscape will look a lot different with some familiar things, but like there are thing a lot of unexpected things we didn't predict were going to happen. Obviously, I think it's hard speaking in absolutes. Yeah, right? like, it's it's yeah. Just anecdotally, I feel like I've had people reach out and and they'll be like, "Oh, this game is on PlayStation Plus, or it's on Game Pass, or whatever it is." And I I heard you mention it once. Like, should I give it a shot? And I, I feel like that that is happening. Where thing there are so many games. You you know you mentioned just the sheer number of games that are released in a given year. It is it's overwhelming. But when you put them on the service, when you make when you lower that barrier, as you said, it may create an opening that wasn't there before. Um, it also might mean that it gets swallowed when those services balloon. Yeah. So yeah, it's not. It's it's hard to oh, land man. on a, a definitive answer. I am waiting for that future, where we have the same four or five classic Juggernaut games bounce around between services every few months. No, no, that's no. <laughs> like the entire Star Trek catalog is on Netflix this month. Now it's going over to Amazon and now you're going to see it on Hulu. Like yeah. I want to see like the new Assassin's Creed. It's on Games Pass exclusively I, this month. Yeah. Next month it's on uh it's on uh PlayStation Plus and then after that it's on Nintendo service like oh man, that's going to be so hilarious. Damiani <laughs> As somebody who is enthusiastically getting into Star Trek for the very first time, <laughs> it's infuriating. Where it's like, oh, like these four Star Trek movies are on Netflix, 
But then these four original Star Trek movies are on CBS All Access, and some of them are, like, it sucks. And then sometimes they change. Sometimes you're like, okay, I'm going to put this on my list, and then you go to watch it, and it's gone because of some licensing deal, and it's a, it's a, it's a hellscape. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. Uh, our last email comes in from Morgan. Dear panel... Uh, I have the hardest time putting together a reliable squad in games. Mm. This locks me out of content I really want to experience, including the heist of GTA Online, the raids in Destiny, or even picking up the Division or Monster Hunter World. I have tried to play with randoms, only to be left frustrated and disappointed. Mm. Using the mic and trying to talk to other players doesn't seem to help either, as I am often met with hostility and vulgarities for no reason. Yeah. Upon reflection, I believe the system is utterly broken. Some of the best content in games requires that I have three to five friends who own the same console, own the same game. We can all commit five hours at the same time with solid, uninterrupted connection. <laughs> I am on the verge of writing this type of gaming off altogether because of the past five years. It has never worked out for me. Am I missing something? Is this something that developers could improve and make more accessible? Any tips for this situation? Any help is greatly appreciated. This is so funny. Uh, do you remember? I don't even know if this is <laughs> beloved or not. Uh, Xbox announced like the communities. Oh, yeah. I and mean, this was not even that long ago. I think it was two or three years ago. Just like, it'll be easier to find other gamers who want to play the games exactly like you, and you can squad up. Well, like on 360, you could set out like beacons for certain games like i want to play this game mm -hmm. and i want to play street fighter 4 with people and you could like ping it out to your friends the tragic thing about humanity is that there are definitely three to five people who would love to squad up with morgan yes. who wrote this yeah uh <laughs> it's just it's finding those connections is so hard it is really hard um <laughs> Not to, to praise ourselves, but I feel like our community is pretty good. Like, if you, a lot of people in our community want to play games, are playing games all the time, mm -hmm. and are reasonable people that would be great at playing with you. Yeah. So I think that helps. But moving beyond us, I do think a tool that can be really useful, and again, it's not perfect, but Discord. Uh, there are a lot of Discords for specific games. And. I feel like if you go into a Discord for a specific game, you can probably find like-minded people that want to play with you. So let's do Destiny 2 in particular. Yeah. So do you think there's a Destiny <coughs> 2 Discord? I think there are many, many, many Destiny 2 Yeah, Discords. I have to imagine it's got to be, like, a Destiny 2 Discord would just be swamped and unreadable. Right, but so, you only need three to five people, right? Yeah. And so, I, but I think that's the other thing. I think, I think kind of what you're hinting at brings up a good point. Like... This is true for many things in life. Mm -hmm. You got to be willing to work through some failure, and, and you know, and I'm not saying that Morgan isn't. He clearly is with five years of experience. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like, if you do take the Discord approach, it may be overwhelming, or you may have some bad experiences. But I, but I think, eventually, that is a good tool to yeah. talk to people. I hear you. Because what's nice about something like Discord is. Yes, you may all be there for a game, but Discord is just a place where you can go and converse, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like like a message board where you're posting and they're posting and you wait to see if they post it or like Twitter where it's kind of like that. It's like if you're in the Discord, you're there and you're there to talk. And so you can have a conversation with them and you get to learn their personalities and you can talk about things outside of the game as well and you can find common ground. But I don't know. Yeah, Discord's a good solution. Um, I also understand like it could be a little daunting, especially sure. like when you start at the broad, like the the broader levels. A lot of these like 
online community driven game, so like they didn't tend to have like layers like layered discords that like focus on more specific things once you get like to like the satellite one and you start going like the other ones that will probably be more catered catered more to like your needs like especially if you're a newcomer that might have like newcomer destiny discord specifically for like maybe you're trying to do this raid or whatever part of the game you're at like here is like you know where you need to go for this and like people here will help you out with that if you want um yeah, I, I understand like the the you know the anxiety and like you know the worries about going like through random matchmaking, you know, pugs and stuff like that. It's not like you're rolling the dice and you might not have the best experience and having a bad experience early on can really dissuade you from playing what might be a great game and a game that could offer you such great, you know, experiences with other people playing online. Right. Um one thing uh, interesting I saw, I don't know how well it's working. Like, uh, like I would strongly recommend Discord and going like maybe like a game subreddit if they ha- if it's a good subreddit, and they like they might have like community resources usually. Like especially like like 14's one has one for like new players, like where should you go and stuff. Like what do you want to do and like specifically they'll guide you. Uh, I think also a game with like servers, like they have server communities as well. But in game, like a lot of people don't want to go out of the game sometimes. Like I'm in the game, why do I need to go out of the game? Like in 2020, that's I think that's not unreasonable to ask someone to go outside of the game, especially like on a, like even on a console game to like m- like meet people or something like that. Mm-hmm. But like it like games should try and do stuff in their own systems as well to try and encourage like community and c- conversations and like yeah. matchmaking stuff outside of the basics and uh a lot like MMOs for the longest time have done like a uh, community posting system and stuff like not just like guilds and stuff like that or you can like uh, they finally added it to 14 after like a million years I think it's been like wow and other MMOs forever where like you can go to this community tab and there'll be like communities based on like even like anything like My Little Pony Fire Emblem like Nintendo Microsoft like find people with you like likenesses like that have the same likes as you as well as the game and go in there and like from there they can be like come join us in this discord like it kind of adds a like a, a bit of like uh, a search indexing for you so you can like more easily find a group of people you think you might be more comfortable jumping into like a discord with before jumping into like the deep end of like the grand main discord of a game where it's like whole oh, they, they can be overwhelming all right. the channels and stuff it's like where do you even go yeah. they're like even if you're not familiar with discord like this is like something like i i feel like it's a, a thing they gotta work in tandem with each other like the game should be like good communities for online games work with like the outside tools as well to make it as user friendly and to help players find what they need to find whether it's other people to play or the information they need and respect that like not everyone is just it's not always going to be in your game. Yeah. Like people are going to use community tools and like work with them. Uh, this is going to sound extremely brutal, oh. but I think it is brutally true as well. I think the more useful you are, the easier it will be to find the best members of the community. And what I mean by that is like an MMO, for example. Mm-hmm. If you're a healer, if you're a healer or a tank, oh, this, yeah. You're yeah. going to be more useful because that's a rarer resource than just being another DPS. Mm-hmm. I think there's truth in that. Yeah. I'm not, but, and if you are going to be a DPS, if you're a really good DPS that knows their stuff, you're going to be more valuable than somebody who's maybe not as proficient. And that's, again, I'm, anybody can do this, but even outside of like an MMO and class-based yeah. context, if you know a lot about the game and you're very committed about the game and you can give information about the game and you can help other people 
Helping other people is the best way to meet other people. Giving them something is going to make them want to be with you as well. So, yeah, that changes from game to game. But, like, let's just take a Destiny raid, for example. Yeah. And you could could argue against this. You don't want to spoil it for yourself. This, This is totally fine. But if you go out of your way to, like, learn about a raid and learn mechanics, you can be the person that is like, hey, do you want to do this with me? I can help you guys through. I know what, what to do. Like that is making you like you're giving them something. Mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and uh, the the where the question got to at the end is like if the developers should change, like design wise. I don't think they should. I I think it's kind of cool. They have all the incentive in the world to create these things that can only be shared with five people. A very special moment to share with five people is the best possible thing for their game. And it's fun when it's organic, right? Yeah. Like, it it sucks when you're playing a game and they're like, we'll only give you this if you play it with these people in this way. And it's like, okay. Like, it's less fun. Mm -hmm. You you feel like you're being toward... Like, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. All that is very good stuff. I think you need to be very... If you're the person going and searching for this stuff... Uh, there's a little bit on you to know what you're going looking for. Like, make it be communicate what you're looking for and be clear to the people you're teaming up with that, like, I'm a new player. I am seeking, like, even when you said, like, like if you're going into, like, a raid-type thing, some groups might prefer you to be experienced or even just know the basic knowledge of a fight or a raid or encounter up to a certain part, some might prefer to like do it blind. Like there are totally things that are like, oh, if you just don't want to be spoiled and want to do it, you need to like start learning like the terminology and stuff. Like get familiar with the community and see like w- and know what to look for when you're seeking out groups and stuff like that. I think that'll make for a much better experience. And also being able to learn to communicate that to other players and so that they understand what you're looking for, I think we'll you'll have a much better time because as you said, Kyle, I like how a lot of these games can't content for all levels and all skill types of players. Mm-hmm. And you will I think figuring like not jumping in too far into the deep end of like something that's a way beyond what you should be doing and stuff like that's obviously gonna lead to a worse experience. It's figuring out where you need to start and starting with that thing and like building up from there. You know, maybe starting like an easier Destiny raid or Destiny like thing at right. first. I'm not as familiar with Destiny, but I'm assuming like the basics are still there. It's like do something that's not like the hardest raid dungeon first, but like go into something a little bit more simpler, work towards completing that, meet a group of people who are like, oh, this is fun to do and stuff. And like, don't worry about like the light the internet or the big prize or whatever. Like, you have to start somewhere and you're going to build up towards that thing. Like, don't feel intimidated that there's stuff that's like out of your league and people are talking about this stuff like don't worry about them focus and find the people who are at your level and play with them and have a good time and go from there yeah it's it's kind of a double-edged sword because uh i think for a lot of these games part of what makes that content so special is that not the entire player base is doing it right that there is some stuff for the most dedicated people. That's that's what it's there for. And so that, that can be immensely frustrating, but if you change that, then it then it becomes a, an entirely different thing. Yeah. You know? Like, I don't know. I, I don't want... I want everybody to be able to enjoy stuff. I'm not saying people should be pushed away from those things, but I also think there is a satisfaction in... Working really hard for something, and I'm sure oh, you've oh, had that with you absolutely. Know, no, I 100 agree with you. 
To speak to Kyle saying when you're addressing the last point there, I think the onus is on the developer to provide enough content to each of those categories of players. Right. To make sure that one group of players is not feeling there's like there's not enough things to do for I that level. Yeah. So it's like if you have beginner level players like you don't make any content for us anymore, like easy fights or whatever. Yeah. You're just making things for like the hardcore players. Like people might start leaving your game, or you might have a hard time. But like at the same time, you want to make like not everything is for everyone in any of these games. Right. There will be, I mean, for some players, it is everything works for them. There'll be a lot of things you'll come across in a game that like you'll just never be able to do, mm-hmm. and like that's fine. But as a, a game developer, ensuring that like the broadest audience has like the most content to keep them satisfied. While still giving more like niche groups something that satisfies them to keep them coming back, I think is like one of the most important things about like uh, online games, games of service, like solving that and uh, delivering on those needs. I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on that. I'm with you too. I think that is going to do it for episode 100 of Frame Trap. Nice. Uh, thank you to my panelists, Michael Damiani and Kyle Bossman, for being on. Sorry, we didn't get to four hours still. We didn't get this to wasn't four the hours. one. We didn't get to three hours. Yeah. Um, but sincerely, thank you for, for watching the show, for enjoying it, for sticking through multiple hours, multiple episodes, all of that good stuff. Um, and yeah, I hopefully there's a hundred more Frame Trap episodes in us. We'll have to see. Um, but... Until, oh, no. What? Not going to mess this up on episode 100. If you want to send in an email, email askeasyallies at gmail.com. One more time, the email address is askeasyallies at gmail.com. Dot com. Dot com. Dot com. I will not deign to forget until next time.